0: What's up, guys? I'm EJ Stewart. Thank you, guys, for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk podcast. We got plenty to get you to on today's show. We've been on a bit of a hiatus, but we return to some major news in the sports world. College football coaching carousel is just going just bonkers right now. Um, as we do this podcast, another major move in college football. The landscape certainly seems to be shifting all over the place. So we'll talk about the key hires that we're seeing come down the pipe just this evening as we record on a Monday night. Also, uh, going crazy right now the the MLB hot stove um, because of the situation with the lockout. A lot of these free agent moves happening much earlier than we expected, and we're seeing some um, certain teams make major plays at some big time free agents. And again, this could be talking about a uh, kind of a seismic shift when it comes to the power dynamics uh, in baseball. So we'll talk plenty of baseball today. We got some NBA stuff to get to. We haven't talked about the NBA since our preview show, so we got a lot to talk about, including the benching of Kemba Walker with the Knicks. A lot of fanfare came with that a free agent signing, but now Coach Thibodeau says he's out of the rotation, so we'll talk about what that means for him and the Knicks moving forward. And we got to talk college basketball because we had a major showdown last week between Duke and Gonzaga during Feast Week. Of course, you know we do a lot of the NBA draft stuff, so you had the marquee matchup of Paolo Bancaro versus Chet Holmgren. I think we learned a lot from last week's showdown. I definitely want to know what Kendall has to say about that showdown so we'll talk about that as well so plenty to get to we'll try to get to as much as we can because i know it's been a minute but i'm really excited to get back in the swing of things talking sports with my guy kendall of course kendall is my co-host kendall what are you looking forward to talking about today
1: uh all over the place man uh we've got news uh all around uh sports but um you know, I always loved me a good uh, coaching carousel, uh, particularly in college that, sports. That is, that is facts. So, uh, and that is, right now, that is on fire. So, I, I can't know. wait to talk about that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it's been a while. So, we have a lot, of, <laughs> we got a lot of catching up to do. So, it should be yeah. fun.
0: Yeah, man, let's I don't right want to waste, yeah, I don't even wanna waste any more time. Let's get right to it, man. So, let's talk about the college football coaching carousel. Because I totally expected, Kendall obviously saw the show notes and we had to run down. Totally expect to be starting with Lincoln Riley, his move, former Oklahoma coach, now becoming the USC coach. But we think we got to pause before we get to that to talk about the breaking news happening on at this moment as we record. And the word right now, Kendall, according to Pete Thamel, is that LSU, who's been looking for a coach ever since they, they said that uh, um, uh, Ed Orgeron would no longer be returning to the program after this season, they have apparently hired Brian... Kelly, the head coach of Notre Dame. Kendall, I don't know if if in my lifetime I've ever seen a Notre Dame head coach leave on his own volition to another college program. I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's never happened because I'm not going to say I know college football history that well, but I can't think of a time when it's ever happened. I mean, it's, it's a pretty shocking move considering I don't think anyone looked at Brian Kelly, especially at his age, at age 70, being somebody that would potentially be uh, in the market for another coaching job in college sports or college football rather that's not Notre Dame but LSU was determined to um, get a big name coach to get a coach with some um, cachet and a coach that could bring some stability to a program I think while they obviously they won that championship felt a little uneasy felt a little destabilized during the tenure of coach Ed O um, so now you have right uh, excuse me um kelly making this move what are your just initial thoughts i mean we haven't even talked much about it because it just happened but this is this is
1: quite shocking yeah i mean so so to start i mean when you're talking about uh the first thing that you mentioned in terms of the, the idea that brian kelly would even leave notre dame for another college job um it's it's so bizarre. I mean, obviously, we, we're going to talk about the Lincoln Riley thing, but Oklahoma is another place where that's not happened in our lifetime. Somebody a, a coaches up for another college job. Um, but it's it's a crazy it's a crazy time that we're in where college football uh, is, is becoming a bit of an arms race with the conferences, conference realignment and. Um, the amount of money being being put into these programs, um, not all of these quote-unquote blue bloods are created equal. And when you're talking about Notre Dame, uh, you're talking about what Brian, where Brian Kelly has had in Notre Dame, and we, we can, he's the, I mean, he's certainly the best coach Notre Dame's has had since what, Lou Holtz? I, I'm not a expert in Notre Dame football, but he's, You know, he's gotten them to the point as close as they've gotten since they've competed for national championships, they have won a national championship. uh, He's gotten them as close as you could possibly get, basically making multiple college football playoffs, um, winning 10 games, it seems, almost every year. Uh, Yeah, and they've been to the national championship. Yeah, been to the national championship game. Um, So it's gotten as close as you can get without having won it Um, in this new college football landscape. You know, Notre Dame is sort of, sort of at the mercy of everybody else, mm. not being in a conference. Um, you know, there are some questions about how much are they investing financially into the program. <laughs> Obviously, it's Notre Dame, so they're they're certainly investing more than, uh, you know, yeah, George Tech. Yeah, they're not, the sisters, they investing... they're not the sisters. They're not the sisters of the poor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um. But are they are they investing like LSU, for example? Um and so that those are things that Brian Kelly has to consider. And when you're L you're looking at LSU, I mean the athletic director Scott Woodward uh been very well, it's been very talked about uh, his track record, his history of making splash splashy hires at his previous stops when he was the athletic director at Washington. He hired Chris Peterson from Boise State, and that was at a time where Chris Peterson was the hottest name in college football coaching for a good three, four years. Yep. And multiple Blue Bloods couldn't get him to leave Boise State, but right. Scott Woodward got him to go to go to, to Washington, which seemed shocking at the time, but uh, Woodward was able to get it done. Then he goes to Texas A&M, gets Jimbo Fisher to leave Florida State. Mm-hmm to go to Texas A&M, where he's currently now. And at the time, again, another move that sent shockwaves throughout college football, considering Jimbo Fisher was a national championship winning coach at a Blue Blood program. Right. Um, and he also, in his first major move at LSU, hired Kim Mulkey to be the women's college basketball coach from Baylor. Right. Right. Another move. So this is a guy that's, that's that we knew, if they were moving on from Coach O, it was not to hire some coordinator somewhere. He was going after the biggest and the yeah. best, and most people jumped. The first person people jumped to was Dabble. Second person was Lincoln Riley. I mean, Brian Kelly is as close as you can get to those yeah. Two guys. Yeah, I mean, he's
0: he's in those guys' class. To
1: so, I me, mean, there's no yeah, question. Yeah, he's a head coach at Notre
0: Dame. Right. They
1: won, they won. They double-digit games
0: uh, five uh, five years in a row. Six out of the last seven. Elite. So I mean, he yeah, he's an he's an elite coach. I mean, there's no there's no denying that. There's no question about that. Especially considering and look, the stuff he had
1: before he got there. We also have to realize that I was never the biggest Brian Kelly fan growing up because he was always it was always you know the the red face yeller screamer or this and that. He hasn't been that the last ten years. I think some of it, if he can't at a certain age you can't you can't do that as much, but. Right. Like, he's, that's not his, that's not really his thing anymore. He, you know, he's, I think he's grown out of that persona. He may be, he may have it, that may be the perception, but I don't think that's the reality of who he is anymore. He's still, obviously, he's a, he's a the football coach and whatnot. But, um so I don't think that, you know, he's evolved with the times. So if that's your biggest issue with Brian Kelly, I don't think that that's as big of a problem as people think. It's interesting you bring
0: up that point, Kendall, because you know, you know me. I'm not someone who runs to other people's opinions and, and brings them out on this podcast as gospel because uh, we are a podcast of our own <laughs> and we have our own opinions. And I, I'm not necessarily trying to just give anybody free press. But it's not a secret that you know I definitely have a lot of respect for both mine Jones of ESPN, and I think that uh, of all of the people who just talk about sports, I think in terms of especially like general sports calmness or sports commentators, I think he has some of the best instincts when it comes to college football coaching. Um, I think it's actually one of his most underrated skills in his in his very deep skill set. But he tweeted today that something that I kind of agreed with. He talked about the temperament with Brian Kelly, and and he said he thinks it's a terrible idea. Which I will get into that in a second. But he said you can't have a coach at a place like LSU who can't play it cool during the bad times unless he's always going to go eleven and one. Brian Kelly ain't always going to go 11 and one. So that's the interesting thing with this, because I tend to agree with that sentiment in terms of Brian Kelly. I agree with the sentiment of what you need in LSU coach, which is hundred percent correct. That right. place gets real hot, real fast. And if you're not able to kind of smooth the media and cool things and cool the, uh, the boosters, you could be gone in a second if you don't say the right thing on one day that could be it and it is fascinating that kelly having the reputation that you just talked about but you feel he's moved on from bomani feeling like you know he still has that kind of in him is gonna be make what makes this that makes this hire so fascinating to me because i agree with that sentiment like yeah this is a job that's not easy that's very difficult um there's a lot of great excuse me a lot of great talent in the area but if you have one bad year and you're not able to just kind of play out the string, so to speak, and not cause waves and issues, you're going to be gone. L- Literally, that's what happened to Ed O. Ed yeah. O was the exact same way. It's things. You had a great championship run. You know there's going to be a little bit of a dip afterwards. But you can't have that dip become a circus. And it's very easy in that place for that dip to become a circus. The coach can't contribute to it. And that's what Argeron was doing. Can Kelly... Either a win all the time, which to his credit, I think the people that have you know gone back with Ryan saying, well, I mean, he hasn't lost in a lot. He hasn't lost in six years. You know, like, 2016 yeah. was when it went four and eight. That was a long time ago. Um, you know, in college football time, that's 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 a, that's like that's like two decades ago. You know, like time is so like you know like nobody remembers that. So you know, is Kelly just the kind of coach where he kind of just steps in and says? Yeah, I can go 11-1 every year. Now, you know, Bumani made the case that no. I think a lot of other people made the case that maybe he isn't. But, I mean, it it is impressive considering how bad Notre Dame was for so many years, not only before Kelly, but during Kelly's actual run as a head coach, or at least mediocre, that he's able to rattle off six straight, five straight, uh, multiple double-digit win seasons. Cause that just didn't seem feasible when he got there. That's how bad it was. So I don't want to say I necessarily just put it past that he can't do it. And he can't win at a high level, but I do have some questions considering his age, considering where he's at in his career. Is is he going to be up for this task? Where I don't think he's going to have the kind of, uh, the kind of just like free reign and over just like the media over the booster that he had at Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame was in a, in a weird position where they were kind of just begging for anybody to be good. And in some ways, that was going to entitle any coach that had any kind of success that got there to kind of have way more power than maybe they deserve. I mean, Charlie Weiss had one decent season, and he was walking around like he ran college football. And it probably led Notre Dame to keep him a year later than they should have. So that's not gonna that's just not going to be the case at LSU. I don't care how many games he wins. I don't care if he wins that championship. That's never going to be the case. So can he handle that is going to be the question. But in terms of the move, I, I, it's, it's it's stunning. But I'm not shocked. The only reason why I'm not shocked, Kendall, is because I think Brian Kelly is a guy who sees himself, obviously, as a winner. Um, he's won everywhere he's coached, going back to Central Michigan, going back to Cincinnati. And I think he's looked at the landscape of college football. And I think he made an assessment that I think, I think anybody who's really being honest about it that isn't a Notre Dame fan can make the assessment that that's just not a national championship caliber program. It just isn't. And I, I don't care how many times they get to a college football playoff, how many times they play in a New Year's Six, I don't know how many games they win during the regular season. Um, I feel like Kelly has done as good a job as I could have imagined he would do at Notre Dame. And he has 73% winning percentage. He's won 113 games in 12 years. That's almost 10 wins a year. Like, so I don't know. like, Like, he and he couldn't win a championship and he, and there's never there's never been a year where again anybody who's really being honest with themselves looked at that team and thought oh no they could definitely win a championship like it would have been taking a monumental upset for them to win that championship in any of these years that they went 10 and 1 or 11 and 1 or 12 and 1 or 10 and 2 like no name has a ceiling right now and the ceiling is not the ceilings of these SEC programs of Clemson of Dare I say, I will say it, USC at this point. I, I don't think that, that that ceiling is there for Notre Dame. I think he did what he did. And I think for him, he's like, if I don't take this opportunity now, I'm just going to have to be happy winning you know, 10, I you know, see 9 and 11 games every year and never winning a championship. And I think for him, he doesn't want to do that. And I understand it.
1: That's, that's interesting. Because I think that this is actually, there are some Notre Dame fans. So first of all, there is a sentiment from some people in college football circles that Brian Kelly was holding that Notre Dame thing on by a threat. That I I saw one insider make the the case that you're going to see that this was, I saw the the case, the case was being made that this was uh, a home run for LSU and that you're going to see how good of a coach Brian Kelly is, not only by what's going to happen at LSU, but what's going to happen at Notre Dame after he leaves. Um, and I agree to to a degree that I
0: agree about Notre Dame. Cool. I don't know about LSU. I'm not right, convinced right. this is this is gonna work, but right. I agree with Notre Dame
1: totally. I, I I think that we'll see. You know, I mean, I agree that I think Brian Kelly was doing a very good job in Notre Dame. Um, I also and I agree that things could get a lot worse. I am somebody that grew up at a time in Notre Dame where they were always bad until Brian Kelly came. So. Nice. It can. I know it can get a lot worse. Be the, the thing that I. The only the only thing that I disagree with is I think that, I think that Notre Dame could also get better. Um, I think that they got stale. They got a tad bit stale under Brian Kelly. Um, I agree what that. he provided is not. I don't think is what they needed. I think they're a program that. You're right. It's kind of in. It's old. Old in ways a bit. Um, but I think they need life. I think they, they need juice. They need a, they need a different kind of, um, they just needed, they needed a different, a, a different philosophy, a different, uh, person. I think they need a different person in charge. If you're talking about trying to win national championship. If you're trying to just stay in the, in the conversation if they relevant which is what Brian Kelly did he kept them relevant for sure yeah he kept them relevant and that's what they needed cuz they were at the point in time where Charlie Weiss had them irrelevant, you know mm-hmm. had them where Texas mm-hmm. is and basically where Tennessee is and that's right. not in Nebraska and that's not what Notre Dame was striving for so it could certainly get a lot worse but um I mean the first if you're talking about where does Notre Dame go from here I mean the the first names that come to Fickle's, mind was Fickle's um, guy you called me he's
0: i mean he knows the he's, I mean, he's probably
1: got to be the first
0: guy you know he he kind of has a he literally has a same, same track record like, in terms of the same track the concern with Cincinnati to Notre Dame. we literally saw it work with Brian Kelly so yeah, I know, right? like there's that
1: obvious connection right there
0: the,
1: the concern from some people that i've seen not Recently, but just you know, just for people spitballing who would replace Brian Kelly if he would ever leave, is is Fickle just waiting for the Ohio State job anyway? So would he leave Notre Dame for Ohio State? I mean, we've seen those conversations all the time. With uh-huh. not everybody wants to coach at their alma mater, not everybody decides to leave a a championship school for their alma mater. But you know, that's 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 something that that that's been put out there. And maybe Fickle won't leave Cincinnati. Until Ohio State becomes open. Oh well, that's the that's question how then it I
0: happened. have the, the question I would have though is then, because to me he's a clear number one candidate. I think you, once you get you get past him, then you're probably talking about Matt Campbell, Pat Fitzgerald, and to me the question becomes: Is that a major downgrade once you leave the Fickle area? I would argue it is. I don't. I don't. For the guys they could get, I think that if they they decide if we're not going to get Fickle, who we think he's going to leave the Ohio State. I think they're settling for someone who's a less sure bet. Doesn't mean it won't work. Um, We know Pat Fitzgerald, you know, Northwestern is kind of like, you know, like it's like food stamp Notre Dame in terms of the institution in in many ways. And some of the issues you deal with with Northwestern are the same challenge you have in Notre Dame and how to make it work. So Pat Fitzgerald in many ways would be like he would be ready for that kind of job. Um, Doesn't necessarily mean he'd be great because – you know, Northwestern has been the kind of an eight-win team for most of the time he's been there. That's not going to do it at Notre Dame. Now, of course, we've got a talent. Do they play better? I mean, there's a chance because he's done an excellent job at Northwestern. But, um, but that's kind of the range we've seen. Matt Canada, uh, Matt Campbell, sorry, definitely not Matt Canada. Uh, Campbell, <laughs> same thing. You know, it's okay. You know, Iowa State's been a pretty good team. You know, they disappointed this year. They've had some good seasons. Uh, but you know, he he hasn't won to the level of even Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. So. You know, yeah, kind of betting um, on guys kind of with like, OK, I think these guys can get to another level than we see. You have a guy in David Fickle. Shaw. We've seen him compete at playoff caliber level in college football for two straight years.
1: You haven't seen those guys compete at that level. I mean, I love I love David Shaw. You know, I mean, he's right. really his stock has dropped a lot over the last couple of years. Stanford sort of spinning its wheels. Uh, I believe he's the third highest paid coach in the country. Um, would he want to leave that situation? uh with Notre Dame want him at this stage um their defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman was hired from Cincinnati last year uh is a guy that certainly is getting head coaching looks at other schools like Virginia Tech um uh and and you know Washington and places like that would would Marcus Freeman like the conversation that Notre Dame has to have is not only, because Fickle's really good. We don't know. I mean, maybe Marcus Freeman may wind up being a better coach than even Luke Fickle is. Right. And the ideal scenario would be you hire Luke Fickle and Marcus Freeman stays on the staff. Stays on the staff, right? Exactly. You know, should be awkward, but you know, I mean, I mean, I'm sure they talked about it when they played earlier this the season. How about how close those guys are? Yeah. Both Ohio State guys and yeah, aren't you you aren't, know, aren't aren't
0: like isn't that like a, like a brother in law situation with that? Or is that am I
1: making that up? I, I think I think they were just like it might have been like a best man at a wedding kind of okay. thing. Something like that. Um okay. but like yeah, I mean those guys obviously very close. But then if Fickle leaves the Cincinnati just say, alright, we'll hire Marcus Freeman. You know what I mean? So yeah. These are all these are all things that they have to they have to think about. Um you know, a lot of Pitt fans at least me, hoping they would hire Pat Narduzi. <laughs> but um yeah, no, I mean it's it's certainly it's interesting man i mean i i mean i guess we should get to to lincoln riley but yeah let's talk about it, lincoln it,
0: riley it's that's gonna be uh a very fascinating situation
1: um we're gonna have usc and notre dame next year playing against each other with new head coaches wow yeah
0: yeah i i mean to be new was going be usc on the anyway expected situation with notre dame but uh shout out to brian kelly he had a, he had a great run at notre dame um i don't think anybody could disparage his run at notre dame on any level uh I'm excited to see what he does i'm not uh that place gets hot again he's gonna this whole new brian kelly we me and you have kind of embraced over the last four or five years that's gonna be tested and i will of the, say
1: the hottest yeah cookers in college football i will reiterate one last time though i think there can and don't don't sleep on the nfl as well in finding a guy in the nfl who can really scheme i think Notre Dame is i won't say it's a spot that recruits itself but You know, it has a it has a cachet that. But I think the problem though, Kendall, for me
0: is I think that they don't they don't they to me the problem Notre Dame real quickly has always been that they don't they don't recruit enough depth. They always got you know three or four dogs. You know what I'm saying? They got three or four dogs. The the problem is Alabama got ten. You know, Clemson got twelve. Georgia's got twelve. Like, those teams are so deep with that kind of talent. And the, Notre Dame got some guys because they're able to get some of those kids that do say, man, this touchdown Jesus, South Bend, you know, everything that goes into being a Notre Dame, cheer, cheer for oh Notre Dame. They, they get that, and they understand that the culture. But that's not enough anymore. I think a lot of the advantages Notre Dame had in the 80s and 70s and national TV contracts and things like that, they don't matter anymore. You can watch any college football game you would ever want to see now with streaming. So – you know okay we can not see well, we are on network it's like well most of these teams now got networks they got either it's not a network deal for themselves it's a network deal with espn through the conference so i don't i don't I, I think their name is really living off of its kind of pageantry for recruiting and i think it's it's i think brian kelly pushed it as far as they could because they recruited well there but they've never gotten the kind of dogs in terms of the the number the quantity that was needed to compete against the alabamas the georgias the clemsons and the teams like that and that's why they've been where they've been a good team that can get to the playoffs and probably lose in the first game um let's talk about lincoln riley real real quick because that was the big news that shocked everybody yesterday lincoln riley um after five years of oklahoma has accepted the job at usc to become their head coach the move is quite a stunner considering most of the rumors around riley i oh, excuse me, the move was uh, a stunner because most of the rumors around Riley centered around LSU. Um, he had put those rumors to bed immediately after OU's loss in the Bedlam game by saying that he would not be coaching at LSU, which is very crazy to me because he was—he didn't lie. He said, I'm not going to be coaching at LSU. I can guarantee you that. And here he is now becoming the new coach at USC. It's a shocking twist that see him that he's going to be taking over the University of Southern California football Brent Venable is, of course, the, the the defensive coordinator at Clemson. He was a longtime defensive coordinator under Bob Stoops, who right now is actually acting as the interim head coach at Oklahoma for their bowl game. He's going to take over at OU as their head coach, which is a, a whole other topic. I don't know if we even dive into that. There's going to be so much else to talk about. But Lincoln Riley, Kendall, how do you assess this tire? Because to me, I feel like this is a home run on almost all levels. And I know that's probably the easy take to have, and I don't like to always just come here with the easy take. But I think – USC, I think for a lot of people, had really fallen off the map when it came to college football relevance right now. It's never—it's always gonna be relevant in Los Angeles, but not nationally. Nobody has been interested or cared what USC has been doing for quite a while now because they haven't really played at that top level. I mean, we, you know, Matt, uh, me, uh, uh, Sam Darnold—you know—took them to the Rose Bowl. Kind of a oddball season, and they won, and he played great. But besides that, it's been a lot of pain at USC over the course of these years. So, um, I think the fact that they were able to even nab a coach this high-profile, this respected, says a lot about just how like just how attractive the USC job is, even when they are losing. I think mean, that the idea that you can leave a place like Norman, Oklahoma, and live. In Los Angeles, Southern California, the idea that you have just arguably the most fertile recruiting ground there is in the country and that you're the top dog in that area of Southern California. The fact that you don't got to deal with the SEC anymore, we've heard that that was apparently an issue for Lincoln Riley. He didn't want OU to go to the SEC. Now he gets to go to the Cushy Pac-12 where you're dealing with the Washington States, you're dealing with the Oregon States, you're dealing with the Utahs. Um, that's a lot, a lot more manageable than dealing with an LSU and a Texas A&M and an Alabama and a Georgia, like you have to deal with in the SEC. So, in many ways, I get the move. In many ways, I think for USC is a home run because they know, I don't think anybody could expect that they could have got a job this good. But I think it just speaks to just the strength of the USC football brand and the nature of where college football is right now, where you can call it smoke dodging, but it's just way easier to win at USC in the Pac-12 than to win at Oklahoma in the SEC. I, don't, I think you're crazy if you're arguing
1: otherwise because SEC is just that deep. Man, um, so yeah, I mean, this is this is very. I mean, it's a very interesting move. I mean, I think so. In terms of. Where USC is at, I mean, this is a complete home run if you're talking about a program that the programs that's last three coaches have been, you know, I don't want to say train wrecks, but they've been a bit of a mess. Uh, pretty much everybody since Pete Carroll has been a bit of a mess. Um, and so to now go from that to going to Lincoln Riley, I mean, USC is going to be competing at the top of college football now starting next season you know i this is a team that i would expect to be a top 15 team in college football next year um given lincoln riley's you know x's and o's ability as an offensive coach um the points are going to win in uh in the Pac 12 the defenses aren't as good i mean the defense weren't great in, in the big 12 but he won in the big 12 so it didn't <laughs> it's not a not going to be a problem. Um, in today's era of the transfer portal, uh, they're going to get talent in there very quickly. Um, they'll fill in whatever holes they have uh, on their offense. Um, when it comes to winning national championships, that's, that's not going to be easy. Uh, I don't think that—I don't think it'll necessarily be that much easier at USC than it was at Oklahoma for him. Um, he had great players at Oklahoma— Guys, you know, he had multiple Heisman Trophy winners at quarterback. He had multiple first-round receivers. Uh, he had guys on the defense that 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 went in the first round. I mean, he, he had talent. Um, and he'll have that at USC. I mean, my thing is, like, if you're USC and you say to yourself, you looked at the Oklahoma program, you say, we want to bring that out here, that's what I think you're doing. Um, do I think that Lincoln Riley will be benefited? Do I think that this will take Lincoln Riley as a head coach to another level? I don't know. Um, because I don't know if... There's still USC being in the Pac-12. Like, they're kind of similar. I mean, I think USC is just a, it's just a better recruiting spot, obviously, than Oklahoma. Um, you don't have to worry about being sort of the number two in the region you right. don't have to worry yeah. about having to go to someone else's state to right. pull guys to come to the other state yeah. you know regardless how successful uh, they've been by the way because they've been wildly successful at doing that
0: <laughs> clearly because they yeah been yeah great. exactly texas a struggle you know, but of course like texas sort is of king. like
1: Oregon, you yeah. know or sort of like you know arizona and basketball and like, trying right. to get guys you know from that place but um but yeah i mean so now you're texas like now you're the you're the spot. Yeah. And you've got and you've got Lincoln Riley as your head coach, so guys are going to be going there. So that'll be the one thing that's that's the boost. Um, but when it comes to getting into the playoffs, like that hasn't been the problem for Lincoln Riley. Getting into the playoffs is not is not the problem. It's when he gets there, you know, you can only run from the SEC as long. right? <laughs> you yeah. know, for for a third period of time. Yeah, that's what, that's into, only goes so far, right? Yeah, before you run into Joe Burrow or you run into. Um, but I think the question, I think for him, I think that I think, what,
0: I think what he is thinking is, but can I maybe compete if I'm at USC and getting all the Southern California guys instead of relying sure. on some Texas guys, some California guys, some, some Oklahoma guys
1: and trying to miss right? He's going to be their recruiting classes will be better now than they are. they will be better at USC than they than they are now. Yeah, and they're and they're really good and, they're, and they've been really good at Oklahoma.
0: But I think for him. Yeah. The ceiling for the kind of roster he can put together is higher at USC than it is at Oklahoma, and now right. it's not the Boomer Sooner fans. Not a disrespect to Oklahoma at all. We're talking about the elite creme de la creme when you're talking about talent right now. So I'm not at all disparaging OU as a program. OU's the kind and of program it's also, that with the right coach, a,
1: right situation, they can always win a national championship. Yeah, and that, that's that's the thing about that's the thing about this is that it's a Styles makes fights kind of deal. You know, yeah. it's got to be the right fit, and Lincoln Riley—not to say he wasn't a great fit for the Big Twelve, because but, obviously that's what the Big 12 has become now. Yeah, and he's he's dominated. Yeah, Air Reid, and he's 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 done he's done pretty well for himself. Um, but when you're talking about again trying to win a national championship, did he have the personnel in that region to get it done? Will he have the personnel to get it done? At USC, he's bringing Alex Grinch over to run the defense. Um, You know, I mean, I guess the defense was was better. Uh, Which is just so relative
0: because, I mean, it's it's Big 12.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, So uh, we'll see how – and it'll be hard to really judge the the defense in the Pac-12, you know, but – um it's gonna i mean again if you're a coach that that pride yourself on high scoring you
0: know elite skill level speed type of players there's no You'd better be the place coach to USC. be no, <laughs> no. no. u.s.c <laughs> just, there's no there's no better place because that is the region of the country where they produce the most talented skill position type guy the best quarterbacks best wide receivers best running backs a lot of them guys are coming from Southern California, They're, and there are a lot. Of, look, I'm a Miami fan, so I know there are great players in South Florida, there are great players in Texas. right? You know, Lincoln Riley knows that. He had a lot of Texas guys on his roster. And there are great players in Alabama and in Georgia as well for sure. But we're talking about in terms of the, the volume of talent, um, that top-end talent is going to be in Southern California. It's why Alabama is plucking guys from California to play quarterback for them. It's why Georgia is plucking guys from Alabama, from California to play quarterback for them. They're not getting guys from their backyard. They ain't got the talent in their backyard. They gotta go to the the creme de la creme and that's in South Southern California. So that's when I say, get not to respect the OU, but when it comes to the the ceiling that you can have for your roster for how he plays, that is the place he's gotta be. Now, I think we I think for me, the the reason why it was surprising was only because it's like USB has been so down and they their their athletic department has been a mess for a while now, so it just right. it just seemed like like wow like why would he even take this risk you know imagine, considering what's imagine, happened but for him I think he, like I told route. you when we texted I think it don't matter about the athletic department I think he looks at him he I think to him he is the athletic department at this point and right. it's hard to really you know with his track record and what he's what he's accomplished
1: in his very young career it's hard to argue with him now it, to me it's like. The reason people are surprised because, like you said, it's it's been a bit of it's been a, it's been chaotic. Multiple athletic directors, uh, you know, multiple head coaches now in football. The, and the head coach
0: situation has eight, eight, been years. Desa- Every hire has just been a. Disaster. Every
1: they've all ended in flames. It's all ended terribly. Um, you're three, and, the reason, but and and so my thing is like, why wouldn't Lincoln Riley go to Miami, for example? Like what's stopping him from going to Miami? Because I think Miami, I know you're a Miami fan, right? Has a similar, yeah. quote unquote, upside. I mean, Miami is going
0: to make the same is going to make the same pitch to 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 Mario Cristobal that
1: that, that L- yeah. USC just made to Lincoln Riley. Basically, The it's only the, the only really, the only real difference that Miami has to USC is there's a little more competition in the region. That's but, the problem, right? You know, but in terms of, I mean, the conference is wide open and you're gonna, it recruits itself and there's talent all over the place, so you don't have to really worry about that. You know, there's probably more depth of ta- talent, you're just, you're just not the top dog, so it's like, and you're not the only dog in town, you know, so, right. but it really doesn't matter because <laughs> there's so much talent, it's like, we'll all get some money, we'll all be okay. Right. So, like, but yet, Miami... In the last, you know, I mean, we saw their last coaching search; they had to settle on Manny Diaz. Before mm-hmm. that, Mark Richt was a good hire, but he but was a guy got who was out of a job. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he he was fired at Georgia. Yeah, <laughs> he was the guy who was out of a job. Like they weren't going after, you know, the you know a championship or you know, for a playoff caliber coach. So that's why, that's why this is sending shockwaves because USC felt like they were in a it felt like they were in a similar situation. I mean, their last coaching search, they ended up with Clay Helton. I uh, thought that was crazy, but like that's that's where they that's where they were. You would think <laughs> right, yeah. USC would be able to, to attract those kind of guys, but honestly, I think the money for whatever reason now the school I think they're investing more. You know, well it and, seems like both USC
0: and Miami have just decided. All right, enough's enough. Yeah, now, we got to be USC put their money where their mouth was. We'll have to see what Miami does, and for Miami fans who understand that program, I think it's always a we'll see it till till we, we'll believe it when we see it. But I think that was the thing: was the money, the facilities, things needed to be an upper echelon program. Like, could I, I don't like I don't think Clay Helton could have managed himself out of paper bag. But in theory, had USC invested in the program and not been such a clown show for all these years, could Clay Helton have done better? Yes, because Absolutely. we've seen other coaches at USC who weren't these huge names. I mean, Pete Carroll was a multiple time fired NFL coach before he got to USC. Like a lot, USC and Miami don't get usually they don't get like the the, the top coach in college football. That's never been how they got. That's not the guys they normally get. Because I think the yeah. idea is you don't need those guys.
1: Yeah, like, Miami, like they don't have the money for
0: them, yeah. them, and you don't need them because the area you're in, you should be able, you should be fine by just getting anybody who's competent and understands the region, and uh, and maybe can overachieve. And that's what we've seen in like a Butch Davis or like a, a P. Carroll. But with this situation, I think they realize that those days are over. Oh USC clearly realized they couldn't just say we're gonna get a guy maybe a little bit on the cheap side, but he's gonna be able to far out achieve whatever uh, you know issues he may have in terms of the cachet and stuff. Because it's SC, we're a foundation, and it's Southern California, and it's Los Angeles, and it's just uh, you can't lose if you do it right. What do you? What, what do you? Do? But that's not the case anymore. You just you need a top. Guys are just not gonna just say oh it's SC, so I'm just gonna go there anymore. That's just those days are over. And his days over so, Miami,
1: too. So one interesting thing to note on Brian Kelly that's fascinating about this is that Notre Dame isn't out of the hunt to win the national championship. Um, no, in fact not. In fact, ESPN's college football playoff index gives them a 57% chance to make the playoff. So right now, it's more likely than not that they'll be in the playoff with an interim coach. And yet, with an interim coach. Yeah, because I mean, you, you can't let him coach the playoff. Yeah, you can't. No. I mean, somebody yeah, try to argue otherwise. This no, isn't no. some respect thing, nah. No, no. Good riddance. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that's, to me, again. Yeah, nah, I mean, they're right there. Because
0: about... you're talking about, you know, Michigan has a, a borderline pick game against Iowa. Um, Cincinnati. Cincinnati has, you know, a game that, you know, their favorite win. But Houston is a good team. They've 11, they're 11-1. and 1. So, yeah. Uh, that's not an easy
1: game for sure. And then Bama, we know what time it is with
0: Georgia and Alabama.
1: We'll see where they fall, and then Oklahoma State obviously can jump them. That's got to be bigger. Oklahoma State is kind of, but they're that's a pick game against Baylor. But yeah, they're in a tough one against Baylor. any of those teams lose, or two of those teams lose, they're in. Right, and there's a very possible chance that two of those teams lose. Yeah, these are all razor sharp. Alabama's not favored, and then the other three teams, you know, could all lose. (laughs) <laughs> and very. Yeah. yeah these, you these, know, are a, very these
0: are razor narrow margin. We're talking about the talent between these these teams in these championship week matchups. So.
1: Yeah. Um. And, yeah. That's crazy. I didn't. And even so if, if you're Notre gaming I mean, obviously you want to get a coach as fast as possible. But if you want to talk about just elevating Marcus Freeman, imagine being like, yeah, he's the head coach now. You did your first game as head coach. That's is crazy. College football playoff semifinal. Um. Does that does that
0: in any way? And we gotta move on to some other stuff. Is that in any way kind of putting a bowl in the, the college football part of this? Do you does that anyway tell telling to you about Brian Kelly's character to do this? Considering that that
1: because <laughs> what, what is, what is that Brian, is kind of nasty. Um, it's a it's a different time in college football, man. I know. With the with the with the early signing period, if you're gonna yeah. leave, you gotta leave now. You, you have to. Right, it's very weird, you know, yeah. to secure a class. the the The, the signing day, signing days is mid of December. You know, if you, if you're trying to really, if you, if you if you want to be set up at your next place, you gotta leave now. That's why Lincoln Riley had a had a, had to be a private head jet coach ready.
0: To be the head coach of Notre Dame. I mean, Lincoln Riley seemed lost. At least him, he's like, "Yo, man, we took an L. We ain't going nowhere."
1: Right, season so, was over. He can I'm make the, not, I, I don't care
0: about coaching. Alibi. I don't care about coaching in the Fiesta Bowl. Like you know, it's, it's a wrap for me. Yeah, but he's like, in the middle of the season. you know what I'm saying? But like, but like, Brian you know, in the middle of the right? Season. I mean, Kelly's season is not very much alive. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I understand if you don't make the playoff, you don't coach. That's different. I'm saying, but I mean, he don't know if they're gonna be. In, have, they might have an opportunity to win the national championship. Do we? Yeah. I do, to me, to me, it tells me that he don't think they got no shot because if he did, there's no way he would leave. Is,
1: yeah, and that that, but that to me, me is, is kind of like bad. wild to me. Like that's that's the that's the that's why I
0: asked about. the thing about his character. Just because yeah, like,
1: it's not even like a character thing in terms of oh, like this guy the, this guy's like a snake as much as it is like there's no, you know, like no he's fight. Got, yeah, there's no fight. Like, like hey, hey, I mean? damn, it's you like you, you that scared of Georgia? Like right, like <laughs> that is. I mean, it's, it's that's crazy. wild to me.
0: Like the more, the, I'm glad you brought that point up. The more I think about it, I'm like, that's crazy.
1: It's I mean, unprecedented.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In it's, any sport, that a coach would
1: quit. Cause that's what he's doing. While yeah. Cause while a team has a chance to win a national championship. Well, a team has a chance to, in, in the playoffs, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah, unprecedented. It, um, yeah, mean And like you said, he clearly he doesn't think his team has a shot. Um, you, 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 I mean, you mean you agree on that, right? Cause there's, I, I can't imagine
0: if you really need to win that I, I can't agree with That only because that you would leave before it, you have a chance to a win. Game
1: playoff. If it was an eight, if, if we were talking in an eight team, sixteen uh, yeah. game playoff, like the NCAA tournament, like if somebody, if, if a coach left before the NCAA tournament in college basketball and his team was like a five seed, yeah, I would, yeah, yeah, I no, you know. I'd be like, like, they ain't going to win national championship, anyway. right? But, <laughs> it's only like two games. <laughs> but you only have to win two games. As insurmountable as it seems, I mean Georgia almost lost. Tennessee was giving them trouble. <laughs> like And we and we don't
0: know where you can be ranked. Because you could be ranked three. You might you may right. avoid that game. It's, it's unlikely, but it's a chance we already, a lot, we already of, already a lot I mean, of chaos happens. Tampa
1: might be out of there. Right. Ohio State's already out of there. Are you that afraid of Cincinnati? I mean Yeah, what is that really afraid? your matchups against you you you, you dug in Cincinnati? Yeah, you just dug in Cincinnati, dug in Michigan. LSU, to me,
0: they must have given him a crazy
1: back. If they've got it, I haven't seen numbers. This could yet, be his shot. And you know how these coaches feel when it comes to winning a national. That's pretty much it. Like that's, that's why you. Goal. That's why you. That's why you do it. That's why you put at in that, the, at that the level. That's why you do it. Yeah. To win a national championship, and you don't, you don't leave. You, know I mean? you don't even you see feel it like, yeah, you've got a chance to win it. Right. He clearly. So don't like think he said, he got clearly, it. he doesn't think he does. Right. But you almost feel like even if you got, even if you gave me, I mean, ESPN's football power index. Gives him a six percent chance to win it all. I'll take. The, I like those odds. I take those odds, man. I take those odds right I'll now at zero point
0: zero. I think it, most I think most people who think of competitors at that level of Brian Kelly would. But yeah, like I said before, I think it tells you a lot about what he thinks about Notre Name, which is what I said in the beginning. But then yep. he realized the ceiling is the ceiling, and yeah. how many times do I want to go into the playoff, get my head bashed in by some SEC team? Or some, you know, you know, SEC light like a Clemson. What's the definition of insanity, EJ? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. There you go. Though I've heard that that actually isn't the definition, but that is now <laughs> a funny saying. You know, but um, let's switch gears here. Let's talk some baseball because um, with lockout taking effect this week. Some of MLB's biggest free agent names have worked double time to secure some new deals. Texas have put together a formidable mid- in- middle infield by signing second baseman Mark Simeon and shortstop stop Corey Seager to a combined $500 million in total salary. See, uh, Simeon got a seven-year deal. Corey Seager got a 10-year deal worth more than $300 million. Um, While uh, reigning AL Cy Young winner Robbie Ray inked a five-year $115 million deal with Seattle. So a lot of money is moving hands very fast. Uh, but the seismic move, the most seismic move, that appears to have sent the biggest shockwave throughout baseball is the Mets adding Max Scherzer. To the tune of 40 million per year for three years. That's about 130 million total um, to their rotation. And he adds. They add her to a list of acquisitions that already included Starling Marte, Eduardo Escobar, and Mark Hanna. Uh, Kendall, let's let's start with the Mets here. So, Mets fans, I'm one of them. We were hoping for this when Stephen Cohen became owner. When Cohen became the owner. The thought was the idea of the penny-pinching days we had from the Wilpons was over. That was going to be a new day. And things started rocky this offseason. You couldn't find—first of all, the whole season was rocky. Um, you couldn't find a president. Then you couldn't find the GM. It seemed like they got to their 25th choice before they finally landed on a general manager. And then uh, you had Noah Syndergaard, who was long time met, hadn't pitched in two years because of elbow surgery— but was expected, expected to come back on the qualifying offer. Decided that only three, $3 million more dollars was needed to take his talents to Anaheim and play for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Despite talking about how much he loved New York City, he packed his bags and got out of there. Then five days ago, Steve Matz, a Long Island native, grew up a Mets fan. Of course, he played for the Mets for a long time. The Mets shipped him out as he was struggling. He had a great year in Toronto, and there was word that the Mets wanted to bring him back. Apparently, he stiffed the Mets. There was this idea that Cohen had this idea. He sent this ridiculous tweet out about how he was disappointed, about how he felt he was lied to in this negotiation, where the Mets thought they had Steven Matz uh, locked up, and somehow he shifts gears, and now he's in St. Louis. So it looked like it, things were going very wrong for the Mets. It looked like they were a team that didn't have a clue or didn't have a plan. And that whatever was promised by Cohen wasn't going to come to fruition, but what uh, what a difference a week makes, because now you got uh, a, just a flat-out bulldog in Max Scherzer, adding to the rotation, being at number two, which is crazy, because this guy's an ace-level pitcher, but being a number two, Jacob Degrom, you improve the outfit with Marte and Connor, you uh, improve the infield with Eduardo Escobar, if you can, you know, bring Baez back too, and Escobar can play third. Kendall, do you feel like this is the offseason that marked a true turning point for this franchise? I think that right now, it's a fever pitch in New York City. I know that because when I'm in my I was in my lobby today, I had two boomers talking about the Mets. Talking about, did you see they got Max Scherzer? And they're they're going back and forth about, hey, he's thirty seven. It doesn't matter. They spent the money to do it. It, it. it it's 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 hot right now in the city. Do you feel that same heat from where you are? And do you feel like this is the difference in terms of where they've been in the past, and perhaps again a new leaf being
1: turned over with this move. Uh I mean the age. The age thing is irrelevant because it's not a long. It's not really a long-term deal. Yes, yeah, three-year they deal. His he, he can opt out after year two. Yeah, they didn't give him a a thirteen-year, twelve-year contract. So you can't be you can't really be worried. I mean, the only reason you'd be worried about the age is if he broke down immediately, which we've seen obviously before, but mm-hmm. um you know, he was a Cy Young he was a Cy Young guy last year. Uh so I can't I can't be mad you can't be mad about what Max Scherzer is now. Um I guess the the concern I mean it's not really a concern, it's just you just have to You have to understand that I don't think that this means that, like, you know, right in the Mets as, you know, they're going to win. They're going to win the the NL East. I mean, obviously, the the, the Braves right now uh, run the division. You know, we'll see if that we'll see if that holds. Um, There's certain Mets are certainly trying to compete with the move that they've that they've made. I think the Phillies obviously still want to compete division as well. So I would I would I would earmark those three teams right now as at the top of of the NL East. Um and you know Washington will try and will try and compete as well. So the NL East will be fun to fun to track. But um when you make these kind of moves, you're making them to try and to try and win the pennant, basically. And so that's gonna be the that's gonna be the question. Let's do the Mets have enough? Uh, health is going to be key. Um when you're when you're talking about you know a guy like Scherzer who's obviously up there in age, but also uh, Jacob DeBrom, Jacob DeGrom who's dealt with a lot of injuries um, recently, and the Mets have as a as a team have dealt dealt with a lot of injuries over the last few years. So you know making sure that they're healthy um, is going to be is, is going to be uh, imperative. But yeah, I mean again, I mean you 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 got to be excited. Uh, you now have a guy who would be the number one starter for almost every team in the league. That is not going to be your number two. Uh, yeah. I <laughs> mean, literally the having.
0: number one starter for literally almost any other team. Like I, like there's very few teams where he'd be number two. Yeah, exactly. You can count on like, I don't know if I can think of one. That's, that's how, that's how, that's how dominant Scherzer has been over the course yeah, of the yeah. last 10 years. Um Yeah to the point where a lot of the conversation has been as you're comparing DeGrom to anybody else, who's in that conversation. And you know, Scherzer is going to be the, one of the first names that come up. Um, look, it, it, we, we all understand that spending a lot of money doesn't guarantee championships. Uh, the Yankees have certainly seen that. The Red Sox at different times, of course, they've won recently, but in different times have seen that. Um, the Dodgers, even though they did win last year in the shortened year, have seen that as well. That you know just doesn't guarantee anything. So I want to just make crazy proclamation, say well, the Mets now will definitely win a World Series next year or anything like that, or in the next two or three years. But I think I'm gonna say this is a turning point because I think this this not only did this show the fans and kind of show just the organization what time it is, because I think that there was a lot of people considering just how uh, chaotic. Let's, let's be honest, it was chaotic. This off season started. That there was the same old Mets kind of situation. It was the same old Mets, you know, broken promises, um, you know, not, not being ready for prime time. Again, I think it was time that somebody showed the people what time it is. And I think that's what we've seen owner Steve Cohen do, despite some of the struggles they had with these moves. And what I see, Kendall, is a culture change. To me, the Scherzer move reminds me so much of when the Wilpons signed uh Pedro Martinez because Pedro came in and even though they only got really one true great season from him he made two all-star games but the second year he had a terrible second half of the season but you know maybe say year and a half you got they only had a great year and a half from Pedro Martinez but when they got him it set the tone and changed the culture and it changed the expectations of what was demanded for the team you bring a guy with that kind of track good, that kind of cashier that kind of work ethic that kind of professionalism you're not playing games anymore this isn't you know the ty wigginton in, in you know mets anymore and to me you know this isn't the dare i say michael conforto mets anymore you know and no disrespect to conforto i hope he finds a great team and, and, and plays well because we know he has a lot of talent but the the mets to me and i said it during that whole thumb gate during the whole second half collapse last year, and I said it on this podcast, they were in dire need of a culture change. The roster had too many guys that just were too used to losing, too used to pointing fingers, um, and didn't seem to kind of have a sense of urgency needed to compete on a championship caliber, caliber level, which is what this city demands. I don't care the Mets only won two World Series. Just being in New York, that's what the city demands. And they just had too many cats that didn't understand that. They didn't understand that. They didn't know where to begin. And agreed DeGram Gram is he's only one guy. So you bring a guy like Scherzer who is just one of the most intense players we've seen of our generation, Kendall. Not just, you know, of this today, just of this generation. One of the most intense, one of the most fearless, one of the most uh, uh, focused talents we have in baseball. You had that kind of guy who just came off uh, the, the postseason run he has, who's won a World Series championship in Washington, who's dominated the Mets every time he's faced them pretty much. You bring that guy, that attitude, that dog into your clubhouse, it changes the whole picture. And even the other guys they brought in, Marte, a career professional, Escobar, a career professional, guys who have been talked about as great clubhouse guys, locker room guys. The Mets just didn't have that. So to bring those guys in, and to not penny pinch, to get those guys here, especially Marte. I think Marte was the guy that really made me feel like, oh, wow, okay. Didn't think that they would get that one, get that one. Though we knew, everyone that knew anything about baseball knew that he was a perfect fit to become the next channel fielder. But how many times have we seen great fit just go elsewhere because the Mets decide that they don't want to spend the money? I think sh- sending a message to the clubhouse that, hey, this is a new team, this is a new day. And whatever you guys are used to and comfortable with and been complacent with in terms of the, the effort you guys put out there on a day-to-day basis, it's just not going to cut it anymore. These moves do that, especially bringing Max Scherzer. And I think there's a lot of reason to be excited. I understand he's had not debilitating injury issues, but, you know, he couldn't make a start in the postseason. He's an older player, so they're going to have to take care of his body. And Jesus, talking about the Mets and medical, that's a recipe for disaster. So that does scare me a little bit. Um, but I think that right now you can only stress positive with this move because it just they just had to send a message to not just Major League Baseball and not just to the rest of the players around the league that they're serious about winning. They had to send a message to themselves. I just don't know if deep down this franchise really considered themselves like a real championship caliber franchise because they didn't, they never conducted themselves like it. So I think this move was very important. I think that this is definitely a big day in Mets history.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's you know it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting to see how this this, this plays itself out. Um, I mean, I, I'm I'm just curious. You know, I, I think you it's it's always tough uh, as you know the fan of a team who uh, in the Giants that is you know can certainly spend and they're in a big market, but right now the current regime and really the last regime, but Particularly the current regime is not in not in a uh not in that market right now uh not trying to uh to maybe they're trying to allocate their resources uh in a different way than the mets are and we saw the giants have a ton of success last year you know win 100 and whatever games but then obviously not get out of the first round of the playoffs um and then we also, but then we also saw on the flip side a Dodger team that had the best team money can buy, right? That beat the beat the Giants, but then ended up losing to the Braves. Yeah. Um. So it's really it could go both ways, you know. These things, injuries. Um, at the end of the day, talent tends to win uh the edge always goes to talent which is why the, the the dodgers were able to outlast the giants just barely but um but doesn't guarantee you a a title and so that's you know that that that'll be interesting and we'll see how the Mets continue to fill out their roster and who they're I able think to that's important
0: too kendall because i think that i think that last point is important because um as great as these moves are i think for, for Steve Cohen um, and for that front office, you know, Sandy Olsen and crew, they, they can't be done. Um, this is a team that's still not complete. I think in order to really, again, send the message you're trying to send, I think he got to try to bring back either Baez or Strowman. You know, Marcus Strowman is kind of in his own world on Twitter, and I know he gets a lot of heat. You know, I feel like he needs to chill, you know, and I say that respectfully because I know he gets a lot of garbage from people. But, you know, he's tweeting that, you know, they want other guys. They don't want me. Some other teams want me. And he just needs to calm down um, and just let the market play itself out. We'll see what happens with him. Uh, but it certainly don't seem like he's a guy that's all that interested in the mess right now. Baez, I think, is the is the player to watch because we've seen other teams, uh, you know, he's not going to Seattle, obviously, because of, this, uh, cause of uh, the movie. Oh, not Seattle, I'm sorry. He's not going to Texas because of the movie saw with Seeger. Um, but we've seen, you know, Seattle be interested. We've seen Detroit be interested. But these are teams that really aren't winning teams. Um, I know Seattle won more, a lot, hell a lot more than the Mets did last year. But they you know, and they did just pick up Ray. But these clearly the Mets have a World Series aspirations. I don't know if, if I would say that about the Mariners. I definitely won't say that about the Tigers. You know, you wonder if the moves that Cohen has made, and I don't, I don't know if if he's capable of this kind of level of three-dimensional chess, but does he say, hey, let me overspend perhaps, potentially on some of these other guys so that when I turn back to Baez or Strowman, I say, look, you can take all that money to play for some team where you're going to win 85 games, or you can come to New York playing the biggest Mecca, maybe take a little less than those other teams are giving you because I'm not going to give another 200 bag, $200 million bag to somebody after all the money I gave. But maybe take a little bit less but now, you, are you playing with Max Scherzer or are you playing with dogs now? You know, and, and that's, you know, again, I can't pretend to know what's the strategy going on in the Mets front office right now. Like, again, a lot of times, particularly what the Mets are trying to do is sometimes a fool's errand. But but I wonder if maybe that's the pitch now. You go back to them and say, hey, all right, the number we gave you now, does that look a little better considering the team we have? You didn't know we'd have Max Scherzer in, in, in tow. You didn't know we'd have Sterling Marte Uh, playing center field you didn't know these things now we already know the crew we got coming back you know you know Lindor and DeGrom you know does this make more sense for you now and I think that's going to be the interesting thing but I think they still got they still got to they got they got to make one more big move and bring either one of those two guys back will be important if it's not one of those two guys they got to add someone else they got to either add another starter or someone to play uh either second or third. You know, Escobar, the great. I love that move. That's one of my favorite. That's honestly, I mean, Scherzer obviously everyone's favorite move, but I think Escobar might be my second favorite move cuz I feel like he he if you can't bring back Baez, he's great. He can play second base, so you're still good there. And you could try to find maybe a Chris Bryan or you got to get someone else to play third. Or if he bring back Baez and he saves the second, then you can just and Escobar plays his natural position at third base and you're all good. I just felt like that was a really great move for a guy who has, to me, a pretty high ceiling and a pretty high floor, too. So, um, I like what I see from the Mets. I know I'm probably sounding like uh, I got the uh, the orange and blue uh, colored glasses on right now. Um, but, look, last time I talked about the Mets on this show, I just completely just bombed on them because of that thumbgate disaster that we saw. So, time's change, and, and maybe things aren't swinging in the Mets' direction for the first time in a long time. But um, any can any any before we move on, we do gotta move on. But any last thoughts on some of these other moves you've seen uh, in baseball? What do you, you know? Maybe you know the Texas move. Do you feel like that you know turns them around and makes them potentially a contender
1: in the AL West? Uh, I think what, what we're seeing is um, teams. We're seeing teams that haven't been good that are now realizing yeah. that you know they're making, their, the they're making their play now yeah. yeah they're making their play i think they feel like farms their farm system is getting closer and closer being ready to unleash you know the tigers have a lot of money that they're trying to spend yeah. um, after not having <laughs> and also the way baseball is if you don't spend for three four years you're gonna have a lot of excess money <laughs> All <right>. All <laughs> but yeah. uh so they they you know these teams now i mean you know detroit they've got guys like Casey Mize and, and Spencer Torkelson who were the number one picks, you know, two, three years ago, who are, you know, now going to be in the big league. Mize, Mize was was a rookie last year. Um, and you may feel like now is the time to sort of cash in, so to speak. And, and we're seeing that also with, with Texas. Um, they also just brought in Jack Leiter last year from the draft and he's a guy out of college that they expect to be in the big leagues very soon. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we're going to see these teams, We'll see. I mean, <laughs> that's a very interest. That's a very interesting take on that. I, I do
0: agree, and it's interesting yeah. only because the Mets are the exact opposite position. The Mets right. have a terrible farm system, so right. and because they've been to, kind of they're kind of a middle of the road teams, they don't have these great assets that you know that can come that are expected to come up. So for right. them, this was like
1: their only chance. They can't trade for any stars, right? You know, but that's the thing, up but star players. Small market teams, they normally can't. They can't consistently pay like this. Right. So when you do, you got to make it count. <laughs> right. You can't do it seen. at a time where you're gonna, you're gonna do it and they're they you know they've they're on a team like San Diego. San Diego,
0: like, like San
1: Diego did last year. You know, maybe they forgot Yeah. At a time where they felt, all right, now our talent is starting to starting to come up. Let's go get Manny Machado. Yeah. You know, let's or get, let's uh, go get this. Uh, uh, uh Snell. Yeah, Snell. So I was thinking. Yeah. Right. you know? Darvish. You know. Right. Um. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I feel like the the, the the we've seen this movie with like the Miami Marlins when they got Jose Reyes and you know, paired him up with Henley Ramirez and that did not go well. So, I mean, it's it's hard to go from from the bottom to the top in baseball. Yeah. Um, not at least through <laughs> through trend. That's I true. Can,
0: yeah, I'm trying to think. I can't. I'm trying to think. Of who's the last team to do that?
1: Like to, yeah. Spend a bunch like, of money and go from it being terrible. Yeah, to being a team that was
0: a bad team that that that, that they spent a bunch of money one year and then they said we were now nah, their championship contender. You know. you
1: you'll see a team that it doesn't you normally know, end fine.
0: well. Yeah, I mean the Angels have been doing it every year for the last how many years? All right, the Angels have tried it. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not it's not a recipe to to win necessarily. So yeah, that is an interesting point to to make. Uh, let's talk some NBA hoops, Kendall. So. Um, we got some pretty uh, surprising news today. The Knicks already appear to be done with Kemba Walker for now. Head coach Tom Thibodeau announced Monday that the former All-Star guard would be starting would be excuse me, uh, out of the rotation uh, for the foreseeable future. Alec Burks, who's been coming off the bench, will take over for now as a starting point guard. Kemba Walker's return to his hometown team came with a ton of fanfare, but so far has been a bit of a mixed bag. We've seen Kemba only show flashes of his one-time electric play. While wow, he's posted the worst plus minus numbers on the team. So Kendall, uh of course you know I followed Knicks religiously. Because you live in a Knicks household, you, you you also have followed this team. So and of course Kemba Walker played for the Celtics last season and that is your team. <laughs> so it yeah. should make for an interesting conversation here as we move through the NBA stuff to, uh from this podcast. Uh do you feel like this was the right move for the Knicks? Uh to to, to decide to to bench Kemba Walker essentially?
1: Uh it's it's an interesting move. It's, it's it's surprising from the sense that you would think the conventional thing to do would be if you're taking Kemba out of the starting lineup that you would put quickly or Derek Rose in the lineup. But it makes him easier to take out of the rotation if you're starting Burks. 'Cause Thibodeau's explanation was Right. Well we can't play three can't small gar- events. Right. That's interesting.
0: Well, that's a good point.
1: Why don't you put one of them in the lineup? Right. That's uh, exactly what I that's exactly what I thought. Yeah. yeah uh, so I mean that's clearly they they clearly they don't want get him in the rotation. They're trying to do it in a smoother way. Uh Burks does give them some advantages. Um you know, when now that you have the, you have a little bit of size mm-hmm. and dare I say a little bit a bit of Quickness defensively, and that's 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 a shame considering Kemba is much smaller. But you know, Burks is a little bit is, is, for a guy who's also had his fair share of injuries is just in better condition right now. Um, you, you will see, uh, we'll, we'll see how that how that lineup works. I mean, it's not it's not ideal if you're trying to win if you're trying to win a championship rolling out a, a backcourt of you know Alec Burks and Evan Fournier. Um, but we know that this next team isn't. You know, necessarily the the goal right now isn't necessarily to win a championship. It's you know you want to just continue to stay stay in the mix uh, until you're able to strike strike gold on a either a prospect or a player or or a free agent or or in a trade or a trade piece. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think that when you're talking about Kemba's inability to 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 keep the, (laughs) the the Knicks always felt like a weird fit because while he helped them. He seemed like he was going to help them offensively. What he provided is not what the Celtics needed. The Celtics, I always said, didn't need Kemba's... Whatever he gave you offensively in terms of a punch was kind of irrelevant. So we've got Tatum. We've got Brown. Right. We've got enough offensive scoring. We we need guys who can help defend those help defend on the other side of the court playing that exactly. spot. Um, And it, his offensive scoring punch was irrelevant when you know tatum was out or brown was out and he he wasn't helping you anyway So at that point yeah he couldn't carry the load you know he he he, was it was time to get rid of him but i thought with the knicks it it, you can feasibly say it was a better fit because he's a better they needed his offensive scoring more than the celtics did um the problem that's, that's always been the problem for me with the knicks fit is defensively I don't I didn't I didn't know if Tom Thibodeau would be able to deal with having a point guard that was gonna be a liability right. consistently defensively. Um Brad Stevens couldn't deal with it. And Brad Stevens uh is also a defensive coach, but he's not Tom Thibodeau. Uh, we know what Tom Thibodeau how Tom Thibodeau stresses and emphasizes the defensive side of the ball and he didn't you know, he's not able to if he's not able to compete consistently defensively and he's not, you know, your best guy offensively it's hard to justify playing him 30 minutes a night and they're making the case it's hard to justify playing him at all so it's a it's it's a sad situation because kemba's one of the most likable guys in the league um but i think we're we're at a situation where you know he's a player that you know i i expect this may end up in a buyout you know and go back to charlotte They've already done the homecoming thing. I don't. I don't know. I mean, or maybe he just ring chases. Maybe he latches on to the Lakers or some team that that you know. And, and honestly, at this point, I don't. Uh, these guys are the, La- yeah, up, are the Lakers. Lakers are ring chasing. Situation. Yeah, but they, all these all these veteran guys signing up with the Lakers. I'm like, they're not really championship. Yeah, that's that's not yeah. the move, fam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I mean, I don't know. Maybe goes to Golden State, you know, all or right, some other yeah, team. Or Phoenix or Brooklyn, yeah, yeah. It's so bizarre, right? To say oh yeah, Phoenix ring chase to go to Phoenix. Oh, that God, is- no. This is what a time it's to be Nash. alive right now. <laughs> um. But um but yeah, no, I think that that this is a this is a move that you kinda you, you I get why they're making it. Long term you can't you can't sustain it. Um but it's it's a move that had to be made.
0: Yeah, so so obviously I watch the Knicks almost every time they play um i barely miss games so for those who don't watch knicks every day who may look at kemba's just numbers his just raw numbers and say all right 11 points in 20 something minutes you, you know a decent amount, decent percentage you know what like you know because he really had been that bad i think the, the problem hasn't necessarily been the problem has been his production because it's, it's taken a nosedive since the first week or two of the season but even if you say totality, his, his production was not necessarily the biggest issue. It was his impact on the team that was the biggest issue. Because if you watch Knicks games, the the the, 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 the 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 biggest theme of the Knicks season so far has been that the starters stink. And the bench guys come in. And if it's a close game, they bring up the lead to, to give the Knicks a decent lead. Only for the stars to blow it and perhaps get down in the third quarter. Or they get blown out in the first quarter. And the bench has to come in and, like, make up for all the issues the starters had. And usually they do. The bench mob for the Knicks has been sensational. Obi Toppin is really having a really solid second year, Um, despite the fact that Tibbs doesn't play him enough. uh, Quickly has turned it around. They're really rough first two weeks. Um, We know what Rose can bring, though. He's been banged up. That bench has been one of the best benches in the league. Alec Burks has played outstanding. So it makes sense that, you know, he he becomes a starter. I don't know if starting point guard is the place I would have put him, but we'll maybe talk about that in a minute. But, but that's been the biggest issue. So I think for this team to make any kind of move, the first thing had to be you had to change the starting lineup. You can't play games consistently where your stars are getting blown out and your bench guys are coming in and they're playing so good to where you're having to make this decision every night where it's do I just lead the bench guys in for the whole fourth quarter and literally play my second unit against the other team's best unit to win games? Or do I put in the yeah. starters, lose the momentum, and watch them blow these fourth quarter games, which we've seen them do. It's a dilemma you can't you can't go a full season like that. And to be honest, I'm a little surprised Tibbs made the move only because last year we saw him start over Peyton for 82 games, so or however many games Peyton was available. Peyton never was benched for a game; he was healthy. So that I was surprised, just like wow, he really did something with the starting line because we've seen him just sit on things. But um, but as you said, I think what I agree with is it it was unacceptable. I think to get that little production from Kemba and then have the defense you were getting. I think that, you know, Tibbs lives and dies with defense. And they had a matchup against the, the Atlanta Hawks on uh, this past weekend. And I know, you know, Tibbs after the game this he won, he said that, you know, you can't think about last year. You know, every year is different, whatever. You know, the normal coach speak. But I think, you know, Atlanta, that Atlanta series was personal to that franchise, to that team, and definitely to the city. As anybody who's been paying attention can tell uh if the the f trae young <laughs> chance or the yeah, yeah. anything involving Trey young in new york that's been talked about on social media has not figured you haven't figured out at this point that i don't know what to tell you but they all took that very personally i think because the team and the city and the franchise cried itself to on toughness and defense and they kind of saw a little guy come in here and just just run rings around them and they just had no answer so i think it was a it was a much more personal defeat than even having lost to like a team that was just you know so much more talented where you just got out talented so i think tib seeing the defensive effort that he saw in that hawks game was it maybe an overreaction to make this move because of that maybe but it doesn't mean it wasn't the right move but i think he saw that defensive effort and what is where trey still had a pretty big game but he struggled in the fourth quarter and the effort defensively not just from uh not just from from just whoever was starting from, so it was Burks. And it was quickly, and then and Grimes got more minutes. Quentin Grimes, a rookie, second, a uh, first round pick, but also just the whole team defensively just seemed way more intact, and just seemed way more feet, way more ready to guard the kind of issues that the Hawks can present to a team with anybody but Kemba on the court, and then Mitchell Robinson returning. So, again, is it right. rash to say because of that game? Now I'm making the move. Maybe it is, but something had to change. And if you're going to make the first move, if you look at the boss score and say, well, the guy, the starting lineup stinks and the guy with the worst plus minus is the point guard. I mean, it's just kind of one of the things where I hate to see it. You know, i Kemba Walker played in my league. I played against Kemba Walker. Um, Kemba Walker is, is a great guy by all accounts.
1: Any account for anybody. Um, before he got to the NBA. Those those, uh, those, those, Kemba EG battles were war. <laughs> no, definitely not.
0: Um, <laughs> But like, but Kemba's a great guy, and anybody who yeah, loves yeah. basketball in this city, you know, you gotta love Kemba. So I hated to hear this happen. Just because you love him, you almost feel like, man, just give him a couple more weeks, maybe. But you know, I told you when I when you know I actually I returned home for the holiday weekend, I told you, man, like Kemba I told you that that he had to come out in the lineup. And you kinda were surprised when I said that. I was like, he, he he just he doesn't he just if he if he if, his, if he's not hitting his jump shot. He just doesn't give you anything offensively, and he's a pretty decent shooter. So there are some nights where he's, he's shooting the ball well, but I almost feel like it's fool's gold. And the, the notion that you think you're going to get that shooting from him consistently—it's just we haven't. The Knicks haven't seen it. So why? Why? So why would I think that that's going to happen at some point? Yeah. Because um, his shooting has been—you know—his aggressiveness and his shooting has been up and down. And, and the, look, it's nothing against his skill set. We know he's a highly skilled player, but it's the knee. He's got a lot of mileage. He's been through a lot of wars and it's a, it's a shame to see a guy who was just so electric with the ball. I see him get on mismatches against seven foot one guys. He can't beat them off the dribble. He can't blow by them. He can't get to put them on skates. Kevin Walker used to be impossible to stay in front of. Yeah. I watch guys do it easily now. And again, if he's going to be that kind of player and then he's not going to guard anybody. And again, it's not effort. It's just, it's who he is right now. He's not. He's just not going to be a good defender. When the Knicks pride themselves on being a defensive team, and they've seen their defense slip this season, they went from being the you know one of the best, if not the best, defense team last year to just a middle of the road, mediocre defensive team this year. They couldn't like like what else are you going to do? And there's a lot of issues on this team. Julius Randle's had a bad season by my account. RJ Barrett's had a bad season by my account. I don't want to absolve those guys of blame. Adam Fournier's not played up to snuff on a consistent level. I don't think Tibbs has had a great year, so I don't want to make this just, it's all Kim Walker's fault, because it's not. But you got to start to tweak things at some point. And to me, if you're going to start somewhere, this is just a logical place. You're not going to bench Julius Randle. You could, in theory, bench RJ, but he's the number three pick in the draft from a couple years ago. you really going to bench the guy that's supposed to be a cornerstone? I mean, you got to bench the guy that's on the, the least amount of money, who has the worst impact on the team. Right on that unit, rather you're not going to bench Mitchell Robinson. That wouldn't make a difference. So he was the logical choice. Alec Burks starting for him is a little weird to me. Um, it's concerning because Randall has been so sloppy with the ball. Now that means Randall's going to have more ball handling responsibilities. But Alec Burks has been playing the best off the bench, so I I also understand that part
1: of it too. He's if, carried if a mix any in four team... quarters recently. Yeah, certainly. Um... I think if there's that was the other point that I wanted to make that was that if they if there's any team that can that can do it or if there's any lineup, you know this is going to be one of them where you've got four guys that can all handle the ball and all make plays for our guy. Yeah. You know, Fournier can handle the ball, Barrett can handle the ball. I obviously, talked about Randall and Alec Burks. Obviously, can handle the ball. So. You know, if there's any lineup that can go without a point guard, you know this would probably be it. This is probably the um, only lineup you could try this with, right? Yeah, exactly. You got yeah, to have four the, those playmates. four players have to be on the court in order for this to even have a chance to work. Yeah, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that this. I I reiterate what I told you. We didn't. I didn't tell you this. I didn't say this on the show because we haven't been on in a while. But I told you a couple weeks ago. I think this will make a trade. Um, yeah, you did say at that. at some point. Uh. I didn't know what it would be. Now it's looking more and more clear. Maybe Kemba will be involved, <laughs> but and that that's probably going to be wind up being a little more minor uh, if that happens. But I still think the Knicks are going to make a trade. They'll be in the buyer's market um, to try and get better to try and stay stay uh, in in the playoff hunt. And I mean, the East right now is is all over the place. You know, Philly. Last time we at we were on the show, Philly was looking great they didn't look like they needed Ben Simmons now they're 10 and 10 you know they're very much middle of the pack and you know now 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 they're starting to talk about Jeremy Grant and <laughs> James Harden and who who can we get for Ben Simmons before they they weren't talking about anybody so um it's 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 it's, it's interesting uh to see but um i you know Again, I think I think a move will be made. I don't think this is the last this is the this is the final piece of the puzzle for the Knicks. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um
0: any uh what about the rest of this the NBA in terms of how things have been shaken out? I mean, the Western Conference it's because I feel like again I know I'm not afraid to give myself a pat on the back end But I feel like I I have to do oh. it
1: again because Well, first, before you you give yourself a pat on the back. Are you you going to bury me before I give myself a pat on the back? Well, no, I was going to say, am (laughs) I going to get a pat on the back? And are Celtics fans going to get a pat on the back for telling you guys Kemba was cooked? Oh, my God. Because I was going to say, 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 definitely not for y'all
0: starting 11 and 10.
1: Nobody talking about the Boston Celtics. I kept hearing that, you know, Celtics fans, they didn't get it. Nah, you're all right. Rashi, you didn't know how to coach Kemba. And I got. It, I got.
0: It. I think. I think. Knicks fans. I know some have been defensive today. You guys were
1: hoodwinked, man,
0: and and they, we tried. To, it wasn't like were, we y'all. We tried no. to tell you. No, they. <laughs> they, you. they. Yeah. They. They did. It, the, 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 there was no hoodwinking from Celtics fans. They were very.
1: They made their we feelings like front. Kemba known. We were from OKC. We we're like OKC. OK, you sure you want to do this trade? I know we're giving you a first round pick, but you don't need it. And they did it anyway. That yeah, pick I mean, ended, I mean, mean, I, we ended up going to Houston anyway. So I don't know, but if you're uh, if you're Boston, I'm certainly fine with giving up that first round pick. Look,
0: I think <laughs> I think what I've seen today, thinking about today, the first one, of the first thing I think about is kind of now you just kind of go and playing these past twenty games in your head as a Nick fan, and I'm like, I see what the Celtics fans were talking about. If you, if I think if you're a Nick fan and you're saying otherwise, I think you're a liar. You can't think and say pretty much everything that the fans complained about with Kemba manifested in 20 games <laughs> I have the last, that's that's you know. scary like, that's heard, scary that it took him that him fast him. right it, it's scary that it took that fast but there's no denying anything they said about him being true right now and it pains me it pains most Nick fans and most of us are New Yorkers we all love Kemba but it is what it is at this point um, we'll see how the season goes there are always injuries there are always situations out I'm not going to count out that at some point he's not the, he's not called at some point. And yeah, I hope back that he's ready to play. He, I hope he's ready to play when he is. But this is a this is a big deal. I think the fact that he came out, uh, Tibbs came out and had to announce this and made he made a big deal out of it. I I don't. This could be the end of Kemba Walker's time in New York. I think that that's 100 percent on the table, and that's something that needs to be definitely clearly stated here. But just so, what do you on, need a pat on the back for? Let me get to our pat on the back after you just hijacked my own pat on the back <laughs> to give yourself a pat on the back, despite the fact that the Celtics haven't done anything this season. I give myself a pat on the back. We're half game back over the Knicks. Oh, I'm just saying, though. It's not for anything on the court. It's just saying Kevin Walker can't play, which I'm like, all right. Well, how, how Jaden Tame doing this year? Did he, did, he shoot, did he shoot 720 again last night? I thought they actually won, but, uh, you know, anyway. Um... I wish I was a pat on the back because, you know, what did I say before the season when we talked about this Western Conference? I said the Warriors are going to be a force to be reckon with and that the Suns be the team to beat. Who are the top two teams right now in the Western Conference? By in the top two teams in the league by far right now? The Golden State Warriors and the Phoenix Suns. Suns have won 16 in a row. The Warriors have an average differential of 13, almost 14 points a game. They're beating their opponents by. They're just bludgeoning people. I can't say that I thought the Warriors was going to be that dominant, but I said that they would be, I guaranteed they'd be a top four team and they really don't see the occasion. I said the Suns would show themselves to be the dominant team in the Western conference. I thought they were, I said that I had, I had them coming out of the West to start this season. And right now the only team that stops them is the team. I thought that would be a force to be wrecking within the West. And that's the warriors. Um, Stephen Curry is the MVP. Is the MVP race over? I mean, at this point, I, I, it's, I think it's too early. I think some people would just want to say pack it yeah, up. Yeah, wait, put wait. Twenty No, there are some people nah. that are saying it's over. I, I can't say that because there's too many more games to be played. Um, of course, we don't know what's going to happen with injuries. Though I think we're all kind of discounting injuries. If that you know, you know, we we'll right, all understand right. that. But to me, right now, there's no question that he's the MVP. And I yeah. gotta say. I and mean, I know I'm a, Chef Cur- I'm a Steph Curry shill, so I understand it. But yep. I heard too many people telling me this guy was finished. He, you know they. Had, they <laughs> we were
1: you hearing that?
0: I was. I was. Yeah, I was hearing that. That was all you over were social media.
1: Way too many Nets fans, DJ. Maybe I'm friends. Maybe
0: I'm following yeah. Nets fans, but I heard too many people saying that Steph Curry was finished.
1: He couldn't lead a team.
0: I was seeing this crazy stuff about this guy, three well, time hey, champion, I was back MVP. Right?
1: But we're in this this culture now where it's. Whatever, happened yesterday, fan, whatever happened yesterday is is kick. Versus, yeah, that's, if that's you're a LeBron fan, then you hate Curry. <laughs> if you're a Durant fan, then you hate Curry. So, you know, I mean, if those are the two most popular players in the league besides Curry. So. I, I, I compare it if, if he don't have a super team, he can't lead a team.
0: Yeah. You know, it, like I was hearing, this is just utter nonsense. And this guy right now. Still you know who else was hearing like it? The most dangerous weapon in the NBA.
1: Steph Curry was hearing it. Yeah. Oh yeah. He said he like was taking it personal like, last year. This looks like a guy who got early in early offseason, early rest, or a lot of rest, and was just in the lab getting ready. Hearing the noise, hearing the hearing the disrespect, hearing the all oh, oh uh, John, R- John, the Moran, warrior, John Moran Morant
0: got got you out of here. Yep.
1: You didn't make the playoffs two years in a row, and here we are now. And I mean, right now they're on pace to win seventy four games. Um, they're on pace to break their own also, record. Another thing, Kendall,
0: can we put some respect on Steve Kerr's name? Well, yeah, I, I, you know, we, we got to have that conversation. To our because I also argue with a lot of people who got telling me Steve Kerr couldn't I, coach. I'm not.
1: A, I'm not a Steve Kerr guy. I'm one of those guys that think Steve Kerr. Yeah, I was talking about you. He's a mid.
0: Yeah, he's a mid coach. I was trying to throw some subs in,
1: but now you're going to put it out yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, let's put some Steve respect Kerr, on this man's
0: name. I told you this guy was an elite level coach.
1: Nobody wanted to listen to me. <laughs> so I look. I think whenever you get to this kind of stuff, I mean, I don't, the season's not over. Uh, they they, course, seven, they or 18 and one. Where the hell they are?
0: But well, Steve Kerr, no,
1: well, so what I'll say is, look, Steve Kerr is doing a hell of a job. That, I mean, that can't be. He's the coach of the year right now, without a doubt. Um, although Monty Williams is in that conversation, I mean, Monty as well, is, still, just like last year, is going to be right. You there. know, um, but it's. But obviously, the season's not over. You know, a lot of times the bones are also made in the playoffs, so we'll see. But. I mean, like, I mean, because again, I mean, some people may say Avery Johnson can't coach, and Avery Johnson had a Mavericks team that won sixty something, sixty-seven games, you know, and right? We but got Steve, Kurt, Steve Kerr has three you know? championships. That's why I don't.
0: That's why well, i was saying about the three. And, that's, Steve that's, Kerr and that's fair. And Is, but then obviously, you're saying, well, we see
1: more. I've seen him win championships. We, we get back to the to the words do the alphabet stew of. You know, well, who was there, and, you know, Durant, and this and that, and Luke Walton. No, but this, bro, but this Walton is won, you. Walton won, what, 70 games, with Luke Walton as a coach. So, obviously, obviously, all that stuff is still is still there. But, if you're talking about, do I have to, is this more data to, to process in the Steve Kerr evaluation as a whole? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if he makes the Hall of Fame, and I look back at this season, and the, they win 68 games, and... Maybe they don't win the championship. Maybe they get to the finals. Maybe they get to the conference finals. We can now say, well, I mean, he took a team that people thought wasn't, you know, uh, some juggernaut super team, and they performed just as good as some of his juggernaut super teams. So, I mean, the first year the guy he got the first, the first year he got there, he took a team that was a playoff
0: team, but a middle of the road playoff team, and they were the best team in the NBA and won championship. Uh, then after like Durant those, uh, No, those after Durant after Durant came in, every, all the all the things got muddled and it was like, Oh, he's not actually a good coach. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The first year he coached, he won an NBA championship. And then, not, and then this year <laughs> look, all I'm saying is at the end of the day, Steve Kerr is doing a tremendous job, and a lot of people have been chirping about Steve Kerr's ability to coach, including his own player, Draymond Green. And I'm just saying the respect needs to be put in this man's name. He's doing a hell of a job. There's just no there's no debate. This guy's eighteen yeah. two the first twenty games with a team that is missing major pieces. Yep. They don't got James Wiseman. They don't got Clay Thompson. They've had other injuries. And they've still been a dominant team. You got teams like the Lakers that's supposed to be Bond squad, they eleven they five hundred.
1: Yeah, I mean I I mean look, again, you're preaching to the choir. In terms of this Warriors team being being great, him doing an incredible job with this team, you know, again, in terms of evaluating him as a whole, all this stuff has to be, you know, it has to be considered. But you know, at the end of the day, we're judging when we're judging Steve Kerr, we're judging him on titles, we're judging him on. He got
0: three. So that's what I'm trying. That's all I'm trying to say is he got three. He got well, three, yeah, and some people, people were still playing questions. about the nature of the title. And then now he's 18-2, and two and they're saying, well, let's go back you to know. before. I'm like, go back to before when he was winning titles? What more do you need? The guy is a great coach. It's simple.
1: So, that's my, you, so that's you're my, telling that's me that
0: Steve Kerr top five coach in the NBA? 100%. He has three titles. How is that, how is that debatable?
1: Yeah, nah.
0: Uh, <laughs> you're telling that's me where, Steve Kerr is not a top five coach in the NBA right now? He's a three-time can, NBA I, champion. I, I His team is number one in the Western Conference. After missing a Hall of Famer and the number two pick in the draft from last season, and you still have questions of whether or not Steve is a top five coach in the NBA. How many coaches in the NBA right now have three titles? I don't,
1: I don't know if any. Of
0: them. Does anyone besides Pop? <laughs> besides pop? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this, this ain't like, no question. I don't
1: think Ops right now are top five coaches.
0: <laughs> but the, the guy right now is 18-2. and two. That's what why, why I'm saying. How is this a question? Like, you're saying right now, I'm like, right now his team is the best in the NBA. If you say, okay, well, what's his history? He's won three titles. Like, some of these things, some of this stuff ain't a rocket sign. We're trying to get into nuance of, well, he had Kevin Durant. Well, okay, what well, about he didn't? What about the year when he didn't have Kevin
1: Durant? Well, he won a championship. Oh, okay. Well, what more do you want from there's, Steve Kerr? There's always layers to these things, DJ. has got a title. I think Ty Lue's a very good coach, and we talked about it. Ty is a very good coach. Oh, you know I how I feel about it.
0: And you, you, you were wrong about Ty Lue. You need, see, so, see, see, I mean, see, look, the thing about at,
1: me, Ken I, 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 I respect people, excellence. i see seen as as Ty be hear, excellent. I don't think that winning a championship <laughs> in the NBA, I don't think it really means that much <laughs> in terms of being a great coach or not. I, like, it depends on the situation, obviously. Then what do you, you want them to do? My I, I, how do, do you gonna say winning a championship isn't the end-all, be-all? But what's the goal, then, to be a head coach? I mean, because at the end of the day, like you have, you don't have to like in bas- <laughs> in college basketball, for example. Okay. You don't have to be the best X's and O's guy to win a championship. You just sometimes you need the best players, but we still we still give those guys credit because you also need to be able to recruit to be a great coach. You know what I mean? And in, in the NBA, it's the same game, but you're not responsible for for the roster for the roster management part of it, or the roster okay. building part of it. So. The X's and O's. I'm not. I'm again. You can't be. You can't be a bad coach and win a championship. I, I. I. do agree with that. You have to be competent. Um, but can you be just a guy and win a championship in the NBA if you've got super? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you there are there
0: wins? are, are, are they, a lot of there
1: coach? are but there are a lot of guys in NBA history that
0: I would describe as just a guy that won a championship as a head coach. Or is it possible? Maybe, but that that list it's, is very oh, short. I think plenty. In the last twenty, in the last thirty years, there are guys that you you consider as just a guy that won a championship. Who who are those guys? Is it Rick Carlisle? you think Rick Carlisle is just a guy? No, Rick Carlisle is a very good coach. Okay, is Eric Bollinger a guy? Oh no, is top five. Okay, uh, we're not talking. We're not talking about Phil Jackson. Oh, is Doc Rivers a guy? Philly no, may feel that right I now. Just, yeah. I mean, in recent history, there's not. Larry Brown ain't a, just a guy. Clearly. Again, I'm not even talking about Phil Jackson. It's Tom Johnson. Right. He just went to the Hall of Fame. Is he just a guy? It, it, it's it's very hard to be the guy that coaches. And I don't understand what you mean when you say a coach that's just a guy. You, you can right. win a title. I don't like to just throw that out there. I'm like I can't think right. of many guys that now, look, just a guy I've, and they won. I,
1: look, I've already mentioned they're guys that, who maybe got to the t- table, same, meaning, got to I the I, the thought, I think Tyloo. You know, again, I don't think Tyloo's a bad coach. I don't know. I, don't I saw
0: think Ty take that Doc Rivers team, that guy you just said is one is a great coach. Took his team without Kawhi Leonard and got them two games from the NBA championship. So that was, I, that was a hell of a job. So I, I mean, again, what are we talking about here?
1: What are we talking about here? <laughs> I, Real I just think that when I when I look at these guys like Spolstra, Nurse, you know Monty. Guys Monty, that, did, Monty didn't win, though. Yeah, Monty hasn't won a title. Right. But, those but other that, guys, that, again, they, I don't care about winning a title. I care about maximizing. my. I, mean, I care can't, more I can't about what do you do? Can you do more with less? Or what can you do? Maximizing your team's ability. And again, I don't think Kerr is a bad coach. I just, but, I just feel like every question you ask, I'm like, he's done that, though.
0: He, he took a team that Mark Jackson made a middle-of-the-road playoff team. He said, okay, maximize their potential. They won a championship the first year. And the KD team, he said, okay, you should win multiple championships with this team. He won multiple championships. KD blew out his Achilles in the last one, and maybe it would have been three. We never know. I don't know. You know, I don't get into that what if game. Right. And this and okay, the the next few years after KD, okay, what do you do? Okay, they first year they got they got decimated by injuries and they were on the worst teams in the league. Uh, last year, not as injury prone, though they didn't have Clay Thompson, they had a decent year. But this year with a lot of those guys are developing and improving and continue to learn the system. Now they're eighteen and two. Just again, you're talking about maximizing your team. There weren't a lot of people sitting around saying the Warriors are gonna be a bomb squad this year, that they were gonna dominate the league for the first twenty games. We're a quarter of the way through the season. This isn't like, oh,
1: it's five that's a five game win streak. They beaten teams by an average of fourteen points. This isn't an accident. He's doing a he's doing an excellent job. I can't and look, in terms of how good is he, is he top fifteen? Probably. I, you top know, 15. I wouldn't, you, I wouldn't you, say he's not top 15. You, you're, you're holding on top 15 for a guy who has three championships. <laughs> I'm not saying he's a bottom who's half 18 of the guy. Two. I'm just saying he's not. I'm just saying I don't, I don't think he's top five.
0: I feel like the listeners think you, you sound nuts right now. I think that – I don't know. You never know what people think on this pod, but we, we, we're hedging bets on top 15 for Steve Kerr, three-time it's, NBA Look, champion. this league, is a, it's a very – it's a hard league. That's why, again, 18 18 we talk about winning
1: a championship. It's it, – <laughs> Right now, like, I mean, and there are some people that would say Frank Vogel is just a guy. I don't know. Uh, I like Frank Vogel, so I'm not going to go there. But some people may say Vogel is just a guy. But Vogel's like, team is 11 and 11. He got
0: he got a hell of a lot of Hall of Famers on his team.
1: Right, and that guy's got a ring. That, like, that's my point. Like
0: No, but I'm saying so. But Steve Kerr has less firepower, and he's 18 and 2.
1: He's saying this. Oh, no, no question. I mean, this guy's got a better roster than Vogel does. <laughs> The, the way Steph Curry's okay. playing at an all-time... That's what—that's the only thing I haven't mentioned that is the elephant in the room. That Steph Curry's playing at an all-time level. Now... No, he's that, playing like Steph Curry. That's who he's been. He's not playing any better than he's played
0: over the last six years. except for the one year where he was hurt? This is who he's been. Look at his numbers. you we trying to tell me that Steph Curry's playing at some kind of... that? And we keep saying that about Steph. But I'm like... And, I, and maybe this is me sounding like I'm not... I'm hating on stuff and I'm not, but like he's not playing any better than he normally plays. He's playing like he normally plays. Right. But the team is 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 producing at a much better level because they are playing stellar defense. That has a lot to do with coaching. They're the best defense team in the NBA by far. And they move extremely well without the
1: ball and they move and they pass the ball extremely well. Like Again, if you ask me a lot is, of that is coaching. If you ask me who's a better coach between him and like Taylor Jenkins. I'd be like, I don't know. Are you? I can't believe. you. Be like, I that I, I, I can't even continue. Taylor Jenkins doesn't. Got, I'm, not any gonna, I'm, more not gonna, I'm not
0: even. I'm not even going to deta- entertain but that. If, if if Steve Kerr was the coach of the Grizzlies,
1: would they make the playoffs? I'm, I'm would they not, have made I'm, the playoffs last yeah, year. No, I don't
0: I'm know. Not, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this with Taylor Jenkins.
1: Look at what Luke, uh, <laughs> again. Answer, do- look at what Luke Walton did with that Golden State team. And again, I'm not even talking about this year. This year has obviously been terrific. You know, and we'll we'll be able to evaluate that at the end of the season. But look at what look what Luke Wallen I mean, look what Lou did with that Warrior team when he was out. I mean, he people don't people he Luke Wallen is still gets right, that but he's still because of, he's because still of that, coaching. That run.
0: He's still coaching with Steve Kerr's players. He's coaching with Steve Kerr's staff. He's running Steve Kerr's system. He, he since he left that infrastructure, he's been a bum as a coach. No disrespect him as a player and anything he's been, or as a person anything that that he's a bum as a coach. That's why he doesn't have a job right now. So we keep saying, "Oh, oh the, what what happened?" And I'm like, system. "What happened?" Was, was He had Steve Kerr gave him a Ferrari and he drove. He didn't crash it off the off the cliff. That doesn't. Well, that's not an Curry indictment. Gave on Steve Kerr
1: Ferrari or was it Joe Lacob and Bob Myers? And and frankly, was it Rich Kleinman and Kevin Durant gave <laughs> <laughs> him? <laughs> but like that. That's the thing. I, the NBA is a players' league. I think the NFL, but, we, we but I feel like every issue t- you titles, have is Steve Kerr. Or... There's an answer.
0: It's okay, but he's one without Kevin Durant. He's one without Luke Walton. Like, so what? Like, so what? Like, what more do you have to prove? Like, that's one thing I don't understand with the, the Steve Kerr haters. And I'm not like the. I sound like the biggest Steve Kerr guy, but I'm really not. I just don't. I don't understand the hate he gets. I don't. He's clearly an elite it's coach. Not even, I mean, clearly one of the best coaches in the NBA so he, of his I mean, generation. You want me to explain? And why somehow. People don't like-
1: and this isn't me. No, you you I mean, I don't agree. No, this clearly, isn't me, but I think it. the reason why there are people that don't like Steve Kerr is because uh he's perceived as a very cocky, arrogant guy. I don't care about all that. I'm that, talking about I'm talking about him. Make,
0: I'm talking about there are people who make cases in, for him
1: from a basketball standpoint. People think he walked into a situation that was ready made and there are some people that feel like Mark Jackson got to the short end of the stick before he got a chance, before that team was was at its peak. And that he got fired right before the team was about to reach his peak, and that Steve Kerr took over from that situation. I just think that that's—I'll be honest—I just feel like made that the, is the logical I, progression. I just feel like that is very surface
0: level thinking. When you, if you, if you actually watch the Warriors, I feel like people who say that didn't right. watch the Mark Jackson Warriors, because I think you'd be crazy to think that the way that the Mark Jackson Warriors played and how he ran that team and how—and I'm not even trying to dismark at all. But the thing that that was the same thing that would have happened if he was coaching the next year, it's just ludicrous. I don't like, and I, I, I'm sorry, people who say that, oh no, it's the exact same I just, you weren't paying attention. And I only say that because I, 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 again, I, Steph Curry is my, one of my favorite players growing up as a high school kid. So I watched the Warriors a lot because of Steph. So I've seen the Mark Jackson Warriors. He did a great job. He got them out of, you know, futility. He deserves credit. But this notion that, oh, well, if Mark Jackson would have just stayed, they would have been the exact same. It's just nonsense because it's like you didn't watch those Warriors. You didn't watch how they how they, they they played old man basketball. You didn't watch his rotations. You didn't watch their offense. Their offense is totally different. The way they play is totally different. He uplisted the team, and it's not a diss to Mark. Mark could have improved as a coach because he because you no know, after what's happened. I'm not saying that he couldn't have improved, but this notion no, that oh it would have been the exact same and Kerr just came in and just did the same thing Mark would have done it and, and it's nonsense. It's pure nonsense. And the people that keep pushing this 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 agenda, I don't understand it. Because it's like to me, it's either again, either you just don't like Steve, which whatever. I don't I don't have I'm not I don't have no personal thing with Steve Kerr. He's cocky, whatever. His team wins a lot. You can talk a lot of crap when you win. But this whole thing with Mark Jackson, I'm like, do you guys actually watch those Warriors? don't tell me about they won fifty-something games. Did you watch them play? It's just like when you go watch the Knicks and talk about Tim Thibodeau and say Okay, they won a lot of games, but there are these issues that this team does and say, well, you just won a lot of games. okay, but do you actually watch them? Do you see what how they can be improved? It's not just a record. It's just it's more than that. So so we need to be honest about what Mark Jackson's tenure was. The fact that the second after making the playoffs the first time the second year, they lost in the first round. So they actually took a step back the the year he got fired. And really have a really honest
1: conversation about exactly what happened when that whole thing came out. Look, as you said earlier, I, the what-if the what if stuff is always tough. I mean, you know, maybe, I, I, like I said, I don't think that winning, I don't think that coaching is...
0: And it's funny to me because you, you never see Warrior fans having this conversation. It's only people who don't watch the Warriors. Like, that to me is very interesting. Because you know, the teams who watch your team, you know the it's
1: most. It, it, I mean, it's, I've never seen a t- Warrior fan I, be I, I like, "Man, if we had
0: play. Mark Jackson, we would be all right." I've never heard of that. I mean,
1: before. to be fair, everybody watches the Warriors because no, but I'm, but you know what I mean? They're, they're on TV all the time. But Kendall, you and know what I even mean? Even in the even in the playoffs, like no, but no, but that's
0: that's different. It's different. People weren't watching the Warriors under Mark Jackson like they were like under Steve Kerr. They weren't on right, TV right. as much. It's a totally different era. So let's keep it a hundred with there too. Right. So that's my point. When I'm I, saying yeah, you can't just look a at a box score fan. and look at a record and say,
1: well, they were good him with him. Well, I the just is because believe they're good the now. It's off only because those same people that do watch the Warriors consistently are also gonna be Warriors fans that are gonna be fans of Steve Kirk. You know, so it's gonna be Not necessarily. Why like not 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 like again, they're P- Nick Nick's fans of I mean, three you're, you, I mean, maybe more wide. I mean, again, I don't know. Maybe the Warriors fans that hate Steve Kerr. But you would think that those fans would be more wired to to defend him. That would be my hypothesis. But what but, is there to defend? That's what my point is. Is that the only thing that, like, only, like, there's nothing to
0: defend. His record is stellar. The only thing, like, the only thing is, like, well, well what if the this, the, or, or, this or thing, thing is, like, well, what if this happened or what happened when this guy coached for a couple of months? It's just, like, that's not a defense of Steve Kerr. That's just trying to Disprove what we saw for over five or six years. It's like, but there's all this track record, but you're telling me about these what ifs and this two month stretch. The other thing that the evidence that you see shows you a different whole di- a, a very people, easy picture. The fact that some people don't, like you
1: don't want to paint it, I don't understand. I think the other thing that people think about is Mark Jackson wasn't really, he wasn't he wasn't only fired because of on court stuff. A lot of, of, of it was off the court. And so. And politics and, you know, relationships and things of that nature where there are people, you know, again, there are people that feel like, you know, Mark Jackson say what you want about him. You know, I just they, feel they, like here's what I'll would, say. I just feel really like with, know, but, you know I
0: feel like with Mark, I think they conflate him not getting another job opportunity with that having anything to do with Steve Kerr. If that makes sense to you. To me, like should he have another job opportunity? It's a whole different conversation. I would argue he probably should have got hired by somebody at this point. But they conflate that conversation with what he accomplished, which was good, as I've said, with some other conversation about, well, the guy they have actually isn't that great. Because it's like, what, well, then was Mark Jackson not great? I, I'm like So you're telling me he wasn't that great a coach then? Because if you're telling me that all that happened was that he just took over Mark, well, well, then Mark
1: would have done everything Steve Kerr did. Will we say he's a great coach? It wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so, I, so, I continue to tell you, and you know, my philosophy is that there may be five great coaches in the NBA, five really bad coaches, and then there's twenty in the middle. Most of them are in the middle. I think Steve Kerr's in the middle. I think Mark Jackson, if he was coaching now, probably be somewhere in the middle. Um, there is not one coach in the NBA. That if they started all thirty teams
0: start the season, and they have to be the first pick in the in the coaching draft. Not one team, not one coach will pick the Golden State Warriors. Not one.
1: Wait, wait, wait.
0: If if the coaches all started at zero to start the season, and you said you get to pick the coach team. You get to coach. Just look at the rosters, look at the situations. You get to pick one team all year. Not one team is picking the Warriors. You're picking the Brooklyn Nets. You're picking the, the Lakers. You're picking the Spurs. You're not picking the Warriors. That's clear. Really?
1: 100%.
0: <laughs> you think that the starting – You can't talk about what we see. I'm talking about the start of the season. You start 0-0. Zero, zero.
1: Right.
0: If every coach got the number one pick. Like, if you had a hypothetical, everyone had no number one pick. The coach said you got to pick any roster to go this season with. No one's picking the Warriors. Will they be five? Will they be four? Will some people make them three or two? Maybe. Are they number one?
1: No, not one coach is picking them. Most Look, of them are picking Brooklyn. The Nets will get most of the picks, and right? So, you know, this isn't a thing about Steve guys, so, I mean, right? So when we talk about this whole Kyrie, thing about, obviously is, but when we but talk about, like the Warriors are one of the five. They got one of the five best rosters in the league. You know, I think that there are some people that would. If you told me I was getting, I, just think, and and easy, back, I just think that's very easy. I just think it's very easy to say now because they're
0: on eighteen top of two. Y- it wasn't, well, it wasn't conventional wisdom they that they wilding. were going to be a top team. When I made that pick again, that they would be a top four team in the West, it wasn't. Oh, everybody thinks this. There's some people who didn't think that. Yeah, no. Nah. Th- so like this idea, they have a top five roster automatically. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. They got a top five player. They got a top three player probably, but the roster. It's think, a good. It's a good roster. It's a very good now. roster.
1: I was, I was, which is why I'm Golden trying league to say that there are a lot, a lot of league. other good rosters. That's yeah, my point. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think a lot of people on the league weren't as high on Golden State in part because they weren't as high on Kerr, Kurt. and Kerr's done a great job. Which is why they're better than I think a lot of people expected. And you, you were right, you were rightly, you know, on board. with I guess, And but maybe Smith, he says you know, I think, think Steve Kerr can coach a little bit. bit. Maybe
0: that's maybe that says something. I think I did not expect this conversation to be on Steve Kerr that long. I do want to ask you real quickly. Um, uh, are the Brooklyn. Are, are you really concerned about James Harden? Do you feel like is he? We talked about a couple of years ago the conversation about Curry being done, and that would be that was nonsense. The conversation is being had about Harden. Is he done? <laughs>
1: no, he's not done. Um, I mean, is he done in Brooklyn? I mean, he's he's a free agent. You know, will he be back? I don't. I I don't know. Um, he hasn't posted numbers like this since he was in Oklahoma City. The Nets are. The the number one seed in the East, um, without Kyrie Irving, uh, but why doesn't it feel better and with all this, all this turmoil again, all this, all this turmoil with James Harden, uh, and whatnot, it's still the number one team in the East. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, which is why if you're, a, if you're a net fan or you're, you're a Durant fan or whatever you want to call yourself, um, I really wouldn't, I really wouldn't be panicked, um, you know, the Nets their biggest bugaboo is gonna continue to be staying healthy. Joe Harris is gonna be out for quite yeah, a bit yeah, of time with out. ankle surgery, which is gonna be tough, but he was playing well yeah. too. He really bounced back from that rough playoff start playoff last year. If 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 they can stay healthy, um, particularly the guys at the top, they're still gonna be a tough team to beat in the playoffs. And obviously we don't know what the deal will be with Kyrie and if he'll come back, obviously, but um the fact that they still have the best record in the East uh, is certainly certainly a good sign, because everyone yeah. else in the East is a mess. The team behind them is right now is Washington. Um, you know, I mean, if they if they had to play in a playoff series, I don't think Washington will get to the conference finals. If they did, it wouldn't be, I don't think it'd be close. Uh, no, maybe No, close. they're, wa- they're, no, they're wa-
0: Washington. I gotta give. A, I remember I said before the season I did not understand the people that were in love with them. I was dead wrong. Um, they are a much-improved basketball team, 100%. But no, they're getting watched by Brooklyn. I totally agree with that. But yeah. I, the reason why I'm going to say that it is time to, to be concerned, I don't care if you're the number one seed, because I, I, if you're telling me that this is who James Harden is going to be this season, they're not going to beat the Bucs, and they're not going to beat the Bulls, and they're not going to beat the Heat in the playoffs. Those teams are getting them out of there. If he's, if that's who he is. I mean, this is who James Harden was in the playoffs last year, and they almost beat the Bucs. Right, but, James, but the whole thing was that James Harden – had a hamstring injury. That that was why he was right. playing bad. We don't know why he's playing bad now. Like, but if this is who he is now, if he's just like like from a production standpoint, he's kinda like Russell Westbrook. Really. Like, he can run the team, he gets a lot of assists, he gets a lot of rebounds, he can score a little bit, but it's gonna be very not it's gonna be a little it's gonna be more efficient than Russ, because he's gonna get to the free throw line, but the field goal percentage is gonna be terrible. If that's who he is and Kyrie doesn't come back and you know, God forbid, anything with this crazy variant that's in South Africa, prayers to the people who are suffering from it potentially and the people who may suffer from it in the future. But I don't know if this thing's gonna work out where they're gonna just uplift the the, the ban and say, Okay, he can play now. If COVID comes back and Fauci's saying that there's gonna be another spike potentially. The Nets are in this is again, it's all saying they're in a, a trouble is all relative because they're not they're gonna make the playoffs, they're gonna be one of the top three, four teams in the East. They could very well be number one seed in the East. That's very possible. But their goal is to win a championship. So you're saying, okay, are they in the right position to win a championship? No. Uh they're old in the front court. Uh, Harden is not the He he's not good enough to be your second star only with this roster. You would need Kyrie Irving to make this whole thing work. With Kyrie not being out there. The Nets are a beatable team. They're not. They're not a, a bad team. They are still a very good team, but they're a beatable team. And the whole thought was that when they they got these guys that they would run through the East. They they ain't run through the East now. The difference between them and Charlotte is two and a half games. Charlotte is in sixth. Is the difference between them and the Knicks, who they play now tomorrow, is three games. Knicks are in seventh and they're eleven and nine. So even though they're in first place, it's not like they're lighting the world on fire. And these other teams that are right there in the in the in the thick of things. Washington one game back, Chicago one game back, Miami and, and Milwaukee, the defending champs who've won seven in a row, a game and a half back. So you're talking about a neck-and-neck neck kind of play. We haven't seen any improvement from Harden. There's evidence that the Bucks are ascending. We don't know where I think the Bulls and Wizards kind of lie in terms of where they'll finish the season. The Bulls, you know, the uh, the stuff with uh, um, Vucevic obviously didn't help. Um, and who's to say what happens with, of course, the Philly, you know, is Wow, I, I don't think this is gonna be a factor, but Philly's still in the mix. We know Atlanta had a good season last year, um, but yeah, no, I think that this is. I think this is is not. I, I'm not saying it's panic, but I, I would be concerned. I don't like seeing you know posts about you know Kevin Durant needs more help. Like, are you kidding me? That's that's what that's the that's been the dialogue that he somehow needs more help. It's like this team supposed to be ready made, and they've gotten great play from Marcus Aldridge, who I think has played his well as anybody could have expected but now Harris goes out it's uh I don't know I don't know it's uh and maybe maybe with tripping maybe the regular season doesn't mean as much to this team as maybe I would think but something tells me that this I I almost feel in some ways the Nets need the regular season more than the Lakers do as weird as that sounds the Lakers have actually won a championship. I know a lot of the guys on that team aren't there anymore, but a couple of the key people are. Right. Like, I think the Nets—they do need to play well in the regular season. I don't think they could just, oh well, if you end up being the fifth seed, it will be okay. I think that has a problem.
1: So I think the East is. I mean, I think they're a better team than the Lakers, obviously, but I also I think, think they are think too. The it's easier. So. I also agree with that. Yeah. You know, I mean Milwaukee's like, gonna be Phoenix tough. And... If that's a conference finals, they got kind of screwed over by having to play them in the you know, in the semifinals. semifinals. Yeah. So it's like they couldn't even get to the conference finals, which meant they couldn't get Kyrie healthy and couldn't get Harden healthy in part. Which is what I always said about that team is you wanna play them as early as possible. Uh, to hope that they're not healthy. But um but yeah, I mean the it's you know, the, 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 they'll get by, I think, the Eastern Conference if those guys are if those guys are healthy. Um, what that means for them, if they have to run into Golden State or they have to run into... You know, They're they getting watched by any of them Western Conference teams. You know, I'll, I'll say that immediately. And I had the Nets
0: winning the championship this year. But <clears throat> I thought James Harden was going to be Houston James Harden this year.
1: I thought I'll also say die. this. Um, I don't think it's a guarantee... Still that either Golden State or Phoenix makes it out of the West or the Lakers. I mean, I don't, I don't really, I mean, Lakers I guess have a, a shot in theory, but <laughs> they're just I'll, as much. I will go right, as far go as far to, as as to they
0: are. I will make this, I'll make this bet on November 29th that I will guarantee that the Suns or Warriors are coming out of the West. It's easy for me to do that because I picked the Suns to come out of the West. So that's the team I actually think will do it. But if you gave me the Warriors who said I'll give you those teams on the field. I'm taking those, that team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm taking those team. I, I have no problem. I have no problem. I'm not even sweating. I don't think the West is as deep as you think. Yeah, I mean, I think the that's West. That's a good. That's the, I think, that's I think good, the West that. has very top heavy. Um, I think the Jazz are a pretty is, good team starting
1: to really come
0: on. I mean, Dallas—they're uh, they, five and five in their last ten. I mean, I, and they've dealt with injuries. Like that's I know, a but that's a record and that this is
1: actually going to play a little better. Fool's gold because KP is starting to play really good basketball. But how long um, is that going to last? I mean, of course, yeah, these guys got to stay healthy but if that's
0: guy, and that's and that's actually real quickly something I wanted to mention about Brooklyn is we keep saying, well, they we get healthy, they get healthy. Well, they're old. Like that's that's just not a thing that we could just say, well, if they're healthy, they'll be fine. I don't know if they're gonna be healthy. I'm not banking on that anymore. There's no reason for me to. Right. And the same thing could be said for KP. He's playing really well right now, and I think that he deserves a lot of credit.
1: But again, how long will this last? Porzingis looks like a guy. He looks like Gordon Hayward his first year in Charlotte where he looks like a guy who's now fully healthy back from his knee injury. He's now dunking on guys again. He's playing with a little bit more, he's playing been, with a little more nastiness that he hasn't played with since he's left the Knicks. You tend the rim um, a little better. Yeah. And I mean, again, we'll see how him and Doncic click fully when, you know, you know, now that Doncic is back, that, um, but and I don't look, again, I wouldn't if you're if I'm betting money, I wouldn't bet on Dallas. But, you know, I think they're a team that has a chance. Utah, obviously. Uh Denver's pretty much out of it now. Uh without I don't believe in Denver, Uh-oh. man. And Murray, you know, is gonna be coming back from his ACL. But I
0: told you off air, Kendo, and I want to say on this pod, Denver, man, they're the they're the Brandon Roy era Portland Trailblazers. That's what this looks like. A team that has yeah. all these great stars, but and all this great potential, but they can't stay healthy. And to me,
1: uh, the good is, thing for them, like they unlike Larky that Aldridge. team, he's the only guy because they out of that Yeah, game. The, the good thing for them is that Aldridge, in some people's eyes, with the third best guy on that. Right, third Aldridge, best, is, you know, Aldridge is, not, is not as good as, long term. Jokic, Jokic is Brandon Roy, right. so you feel right. like we can still build around this guy somehow. You know? right. Aldridge was always going to be tough to be the cornerstone because he, no one thought he could be the best player on the championship team. Uh, luckily they got Damian Lillard, but then Aldridge was getting old, <laughs> yeah. But, um, but you still have Jokic, so you feel like you have the guy who could be the best player in the championship, but it's just hard now because you, you just gave a guy who's, uh, having a surgical procedure on his lower back gun, um, hundred and whatever, $180 million. Oh, man. <laughs> or yeah, as, well, I mean,
0: that was, yeah. that was, that was, uh... You know, I thought you made a good point too off air to me when you said that you felt like these GMs sometimes, for their own picks that are going well, will feel themselves a bit by maybe jumping jumping out the window.
1: An extension, Kinda, it's it's a, it's they trying to win first.
0: Yeah, because you know, you know trying to win the back pages. And to me, you know, I do think there's a little bit of hey, small market guy. Do you want to have any you know questions, any doubt? Maybe that's part of it. But I mean, other other guys in his, his draft and his, of his draft you know situation that got that bag. You know, he was clearly the worst guy.
1: You know, even if or at he least the guy has... who had proven the least. Proven the least, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So And the guy who <clears throat> the guy who hadn't justified that sort of money, by, like you said, by what he's done. By what he had now, done. Now, trending in a way where there were some people that thought he's the most improved player, he was going to be an all-star. I mean, what, you had him as an all-star this year? First time all-star? I might have. Yeah, I might have. You know, I mean... If people thought he'd be a first-time All-Star, he'd be Most Improved Player. Those weren't bad bets. I mean, as good as he looked in in the playoffs, that seemed like a a uh, seemed like a surefire thing. Yeah. What well, I what I don't know is how did did they not like do any physicals on him? Like they had no idea this guy was hurt. It'd be one thing if he if he had played the first two months and all of a sudden you know his back started to give out and by February they had to shut him down. He's been bad all season. Dude, yeah, that's the part he of it to that he came yeah. With a yeah. bad back. Yeah, How did you give him to... that contract and this guy literally hasn't played one game healthy since he got that contract?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know that was that's, that's the a one malpractice thing. From, by Tim Connolly in the Yeah, Connolly and them, I know they they have a renowned front office, but that's the thing that, you know, you think that with their you know, since he's your player, you have all the medical information needed and the kind of injury he has, it almost feels like it's an inevitable kind of thing given his history. So it's like, how did you not foresee this being a possibility? Because there's no nobody thinks you're crazy enough to know this is a possibility and still give him two hundred million dollars essentially. Like, like we're giving yeah. you that much rope, but it makes you wonder: should we even be giving him that much rope? But let's say we do give you that rope. It's like, okay. Well, what went wrong? How did you guys not see that this could maybe become catastrophic? And that's the that's the tough break for for Denver. Um, we got only a couple of minutes here, uh, but. I just want to get your thoughts real quickly on the, the Duke-Gonzaga game from last week. It was a classic matchup. It was a showdown of two uh, potential top two picks in the draft between Paolo Bancaro from Duke and Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga, uh, two of the top teams in the, in the country. Of course, Duke, um, I, I use the word upset kind of, you know, mildly because it's, it's Duke. we have never learned your dog, EJ. Gordon Quick Cook. Yes, um, uh, Duke uh, beat Gonzaga in a very, very competitive, very close game. A terribly officiated game, I might add, but nonetheless, a, a great game. Um, just real
1: quickly, kind the of, biggest thing you took away from that, that game? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not really a takeaway, but, you know, because I've already, I've already been on this train, but, I, you know, I don't think it's close between, you know, who should be the number one pick in the draft Um you know, if we're, if we're calling it a debate between the Home Grid and Van Carroll, then I would take Van Carroll. Uh, if people want to throw Jabari Smith in the conversation, I still don't think it's close. I, I, I'm, I'm taking Van Carroll. Um, he's a he's a he's a I don't want to say generational. I think he's a generational power forward prospect. Um, a generational may be strong because Zion was was a power forward, and that was in this generation. But uh, <laughs> but he's he's He's, he's a guy that that that's certainly special. Um, it also, I mean, just the NBA readiness. Uh, there are some people that think he's not as good of a fit for the NBA as maybe a Chad Holmgren uh, or a Jabari Smith. I just I disagree. I think that there are teams out there, um, you know, that like the San Antonio Spurs, for example, or the Orlando Magic. Uh, I saw Chad Ford. He likes to, you know, he's always been a guy that's looked at you know, what team, if the team got the number one pick, who would they favor? Uh, and those were some of the teams that, uh, you know, OKC is another team that I think would be an excellent fit for Paolo Bancaro. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where whereas are there other teams that maybe say, you know, Chad Holmgren may be a good fit, potentially. Uh, the Pelicans may be a better fit for Chad Holmgren than Paolo yeah. Bancaro. Um, but, you know, if you're a team that has a hole at the four spot, I mean, this guy looks like a guy he can average 17 and, and 9 from day one in the NBA. Yeah, so I, today. Yeah, he looks like he can do it today. today. It's the most NBA-ready prospect I've seen. Not only NBA-ready from just, like, what he's going to do and contribute, but, like, the guy, the guy has the most pro-ready game that I've seen and skill set that I've seen since, I don't know.
0: I mean, I think mean, for, for a guy, his, I think, I think in, terms of his, in terms of his, I think in terms of his size, his, his size, position, of course, yeah, it, they were guards, definitely. but that's my yeah, there's NBA some guard, Derrick Rose,
1: you know, but yeah, yeah, you know, and yeah, and even Derek Rose, there was questions. Derrick Rose, you know, didn't shoot jump shot, yeah, you know, guards obviously is a different NBA, obviously, but right. you know, Derrick Rose, the first point guard drafted number one since Allen Ivers. I know, you know. Yeah, Paolo, Paolo, man, he was he
0: was dominant in that first half. It was too bad that he had the uh, he had the, the cramps. You know, I would like to have seen how that game would have, I think the game would have played out fairly similar. I think it would have been a close game that Duke probably would have won. Um, But, like, I, I would have loved to have seen how they closed that game, you know, what what shots he would have been looking for in those kind of tight situation kind of games because uh, Gonzaga really, you know, came out and, and played a much better second half. I think in terms of the, the draft situation, it's... Ben Carroll, to me, what that to me looked like the conversations we were having on the Undisputed podcast, um, excuse me, the, uh, the Uncommitted podcast. Shout out to, of course, uh, our YouTube viewers who check out that podcast. Of course, it is on the the, the channel as well. Um, that's our basketball that's recruiting podcast. We talked about Paolo versus Chet and the whole deal about, like, the idea of Chet being number one, but who Paolo is is probably number one. And I think Chet, in terms of his high school senior year, um, I think maybe kind of started to kind of muddy that water a little bit because I think he seemed more developed I think people saw maybe his junior year. But to me, watching that game, I kind of felt like he was back to that, where it was like, okay, functionally, what Chet could potentially be, and even some of the things he's presenting now caused a lot of problems for other teams. But who Paolo is, I mean, I, I saw someone say, and it's hard to deny. I mean, he looked like a 6'10 Carmelo Anthony. I mean, that. That, I mean, and that, that guy, I have a hard time believing you're not taking that guy number one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I think Chet's still a special player, and it's still a long season. He can get a lot better. And that's the one thing Mark Few has stressed uh, early this season that you know, Chet's going to get better throughout the season. I think he will. And I thought, as, as great as Paolo was, I thought Chet didn't get enough credit for what was, I thought, an excellent second half he had. But played well. Yeah, he played really well. But, I mean, Paolo is just he's so he's so he's so skilled he's so poor uh he's so uh polished that's what i was looking for and to me the difference is the, the jump shot you know i think the jump shot for him has kind of been a little hit or miss on the high school level if he's shooting like that which he shot the boy he shot the boy great all season so i don't want to make he looked it like a guy who spent
1: hours and hours
0: in i office. mean the jump shot looks so pure you know what i'm saying like sometimes you see a guy make some shots yeah he still needs to work on that shot I didn't get that feeling from him. He was I, very confident. Like it it was, he, you could he tell he knew those shots were going in. Yeah, it was going in as soon as he left his hands. It was compact <laughs> release. He knew what he was doing. He had great balance. Pre-shot, uh, the, the, the the pre-shot uh, preparation was excellent on those catch and shoots. He looked like Carmelo Anthony. So, again, that guy, I have a tough time saying I'm not taking number one unless it's some kind of positional thing. Or unless, again, there's growth. There's a lot of time left. I don't want to make it, oh, this game means – paulo's number one there's a lot of time to be had yeah I mean, and i think that right? it was also was why i want to say something about the refs because this is the game that we shouldn't have been worried about the refs. chet started the game on paulo Bancaro, and i wanted to see that matchup and the refs kind of took that away from us with these stupid files that they were calling on both sides it wasn't i'm not even calling it from a gonzaga situation there was that game was poorly officiated and it didn't even muddle with the matchup we posted we really saw Bancaro versus uh uh anton watson uh, you know, and that clearly didn't go very well. You know, we I would have liked to have seen Chet and Bancaro go head-to-head, head, and we really didn't get that because the refs really robbed the very early in the first half. But
1: Do you um, think Duke is the best team in the country? They're ranked number one now. Obviously, you're a Gonzaga fan, so I think that would have yeah, been a yeah, 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 everybody checked this with a Soul. Um
0: I think it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you know, what's the, you know like you said, styles make fights earlier. Yes. I think is better than Duke, but I think Gonzaga will always have a problem with that Duke team, if that makes sense.
1: <laughs> that team is. I mean, I said it yeah, going you said into it. You I said, said it, was, and
0: again, apologies to the people who have been waiting for this sports podcast. We didn't get to talk about this, but you said it going into the game.
1: Said I was like, going, going kind of into the week, everybody was talking about the yeah. UCLA game. I was like, the I said it watching the Texas game. I was like, yeah. Gonzaga's not going to have much trouble with UCLA. Duke will be a, a different conversation. Only because of the size fact, you know, and UCLA yeah, Mark did. Williams was he was tremendous. And it would have been close even with Cody Riley, but you know, like UCLA wouldn't be able to compete. Now I think UCLA versus Duke maybe a different conversation because as good as Paolo is, he's going to Jaime Jaques. He's going to you know, against right, yeah. He's exactly. going to get some First, real dogs guarding. on
0: that wing, right?
1: Yeah, and he's if he's scoring a lot on the perimeter, like he's gonna have to take over in the post, which I think he can do. But Coach Gay's got to get him those those looks and. Mark Williams isn't gonna do anything to both, you know. I mean, besides dunk it. And Gonzaga so, and Gonzaga relies heavily on
0: interior scoring, whereas usually UCLA relies heavily on one on one scoring. Right. So Drew Timmy. The, the whole idea of like, you know, uh, um you know, Duke Center just erasing everything Brilliant. at the rim of Mark Williams, it might not be as much of a difference if, if you know, Hawkins and, and and Juzang are just killing you in the mid range. Right. Like you know, like that doesn't matter.
1: No, so I, I totally that's why I say
0: style make fights. Duke deserves to be number one. They won that game and they beat the number one team. I think that that's a tough match for Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga is still a more well rounded team.
1: Yeah, I. If you're asking me who I think will end the season at number one, I I venture to guess it's Gonzaga. Because I don't think they'll. They'll probably won't lose in the West Coast Conference. And I'll be honest, and I'll give Duke some some rope here. I think that in some ways that's a little
0: unfair to Duke because we know that you know this was this is the toughest game Gonzaga's gonna play all year, and then. And now the West and Coast. you have to play Alabama next week. I know. It's That'll not like it's week. easy. But, but you know, the West Coast Conference is much improved, but it is what it is. It's not the ACC. Now, Duke, you know, pads the schedule early on with a lot of, you know, they played the Citadel earlier this week. You know, so, like, right. we understand what time it is there, too. But fair is fair. So, Duke is about to hit the, the really tough part of their schedule. And they're the best team in the ACC, in my opinion. But they'll probably lose three to four games that's and that's just being just like that's not a diss. That's just AC is a tough conference. Yeah, like, you have games lose. that you won't shoot well, yeah. and the other
1: team will, and you'll, yeah, you they,
0: they'll probably split to Carolina because that's usually how that goes. Uh, they will probably split to Virginia because that's usually how that goes. Florida State and they then, steal and the then yeah, and then pick one of the other teams. Florida State, one of them teams, steal a game, and, then, and now you got three losses. No one thinks that Duke isn't an elite team, but that's just the the, the gauntlet that that is the ACC. Gonzaga, you know, you I mean, injuries and things like that. Gonzaga is very less likely they'll get good. picked off. BYU, I think, is very good. BYU serious. Not in a different yeah. tier. They're, they're in a different tier. Yeah, they're not as good as any of those teams I just
1: named. No. And, so, and again, those are Gonzaga's biggest games. Like, Gonzaga knows. Be ready for BYU. Right. You may be able to sleepwalk at Santa Clara or at Pepperdine. Who are both good, by the way. Yeah, and still win by 20 points, even if the first half is kind of close. You know, BYU, you know, you got to be in the game for 40 minutes or you could get clipped. Um, Duke, that's every game is against a BYU kind of level team, basically. Unless you're playing Pitt, you know, or, or Georgia Tech Week. Um, So yeah, I mean, it's it, it'll. I, I mean, it's the the scary thing for Gonzaga. I would to say scary because again, there's you know you can count on on one hand the amount of teams that probably can that could consistently give Gonzaga problems, but the other team that presents a tough challenge is the number two team in the country right now, and that's Purdue. Do you um, feel like Gonzaga should
0: still be should be number two? I see some Gonzaga fans that feel like they Purdue's played nobody,
1: and they beat they beat the number two team in the country. So why are they aiming less than two? Yeah, and they played the quasi number one team to a, almost a standstill. Right, right. It was a, it was a nipping. Well, I mean, look, battle. some people think rate, rankings are stupid. You know, like particularly like AP polls and coaches polls because they're they're just power rankings. You know. They're not really a reflection of who the best teams are. Uh, you have to like it's like the conversation we have in college football. Like if, if Alabama loses to Georgia by a field goal in overtime, or they lose by that stupid two-point conversion thing in over in triple overtime, should they still be in the playoff? Mm-hmm. In a poll, they would. You have to drop from two to six just because you can't stay where you are if you lose a game. But but that's the <laughs> that's the way we do the polls. Um, but do I think they're the second best team in the country? Probably. Uh like just in terms of I mean they may be the best, but just in terms of who's played the second best in the country, it's probably Gonzaga. Mm. Just they had play happen to play the team that may be the number one. Um but again, I think it's gonna end the season number one. They probably I mean, in terms of who gets the number one overall seed, that'll maybe end up actually being a little different. Because you have now a head a head to head game between two teams that'll be in that conversation. And if it comes down to it. You may have Duke. If Duke is also in that number one seed range. They may actually may. Maybe ahead of Gonzaga in that regard. But. If this is Gonzaga's only loss. I mean you, you gotta. You, you can't. You gotta live with it. Um, but man. It's gonna be. It's already been a very good season. In the college basketball. And we will have. You know. continue to have plenty of. Excellent matchups. And I'm
0: really, really glad. playing Chuck. And I'm really glad we got to hone in on the college basketball aspect of this, because you know, you know, Paolo and Chet are supernovas when it comes to NBA draft, and we all understand that. I think there was some frustration over the fact that the conversation centered seemingly only around NBA draft, and not around the fact that you know, like these this is a supernova college basketball matchup, and this is going to be perhaps two Final Four teams, and they got to see it. We got to see a classic in Vegas, and. I think that that's fair. I think it's fair that some people were, were, were frustrated at that, though I understand, given our thing with the NBA draft, that, that we, we love the NBA draft and we want to talk about that. So I'm happy we got to kind of talk about the fallout of these teams because these teams are going uh, to be wrecking with throughout the season. It's going to be a great college basketball season. There are a lot of really good teams. Uh, I want to thank everybody, though, for checking out this uh, extra long edition of New Generation Sports Talk. I know we were out for a little bit, but um, it wasn't like we weren't creating. We were doing a lot of hero stuff. We were doing YouTube stuff for sports, but we hadn't done the sports podcast in a while. Apologies to that. I don't think we'll have a hiatus that long for a while now. So uh, you'll be able to catch us soon, of course, on all of our podcast networks, or podcast channels rather. Um, The New Generation Podcast Network can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also be sure to check us out on YouTube, New Generation Media, to catch that uh, YouTube content that I was just mentioning, plenty of hero stuff on there, some sports stuff on there as well. Also, be sure to check us out on social media. We're on Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast. You can find us individually on social media. You can find Shamari, excuse me, uh, Kendall, on, uh, on Twitter, at New Gen Ken. You can find me on Twitter, at EJ underscore Stewart, and on Instagram, at Action EJ. Thank you, guys, for checking us out. Shamari. For, why do I keep saying Shamari? Shamari is like the hidden man in podcast. <laughs> uh, for Kendall, I'm saying Shamari because we've been doing Heroes of the time time. Uh, but for Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.